What's going on? This is the Saturday Down South Podcast. I am Connor O'Kara. Will, feels good to be back in Orlando, nine days away, back in the Sunshine State. We traded places, kind of, sort of, not really, because you were in Florida, and now you're back home in Atlanta where there's snow. I was in a place where there's where there was snow, and now I'm back in Florida, so role reversal of sorts. Yeah, we handed off the Florida man baton at the border. It was an official ceremony. There were men in big hats, so it was a fun time. Yeah, yeah, it was a great time, great time. It had snow in Atlanta. Goodness gracious. What a time yeah. to be alive, man. I was telling you, I'm going up north. I'm going to go see my first NHL game, which I don't know if you've been. I'm sure you've been one nice. of those. I yeah. just asked you that, but like, it's it's cool. That's obviously the only like major sport I haven't been to, so we're about to go to D.C. and then Philly. Um, So you guys hit me up if you have any Philly wrecks. Uh, but yeah, it's going to be a great time, man. Hockey games in person are one of those things that you just got to experience and it it definitely makes you a a bigger fan of the sport and i say that as somebody who admittedly is was a bandwagon blackhawks fan and hasn't had like those a lot of hockey experience in my in my lifetime but yeah that'll be that'll be a lot of fun great time of year to be able to do that too that'll be a fun mm-hmm. trip for you fun trip new year's weekend for for will so yeah for moving forward so for next week that means i'll be because we'll be in philly i'll be recording a pod Sunday to recap everything bowl related that has transpired up until, you know, before the, the January 2nd bowls and all that stuff. So we'll have a lot of games to be able to recap. We're going to preview all of them today. That's, that's the plan. Bowl previews, bowl previews, more bowl previews. We're going to hit the nine remaining sec bowl games. I had one quick Mizzou thing that I wanted to hit on to kind of put a bow on 2022 spin it forward to a very daunting reality that awaits for Mizzou fans. Uh, Gary Stokin's going to join us in a bit. Talk all things Peach Bowl with Georgia, Ohio State, plus kind of dug into the future of the 12-team playoff, how it impacts them, how it can impact the entire sport, neutral site games, a lot of different stuff with Gary as usual. And then we're going to end with holiday travel horror stories from this year from those who experienced some not-so-fun travel conditions. If you if you got out of whatever place you were in and back to where you live Consider yourself lucky uh, it, it, that yeah. there was a whole lot of, of, of very unhappy people that I came across this weekend. And I'm sure anybody that turned on the news saw all that fun stuff. So, yeah, we'll uh, just give people a formed event on all the crap that they went through over the weekend, including a little bit from yours truly, but not nearly as bad as other people had it. All right. Before we dig into everything, we'll come home, empty fridge. It's a very familiar feeling when you're away for nine days. And you know you have nothing in your fridge. You're like, all right, I'm, <laughs> I'm working bare bones right now. I got some eggs, maybe a little bit of cheese, but I got Texas Pete. And you know mm-hmm. what? Sometimes that's all you need. Just have a little Texas Pete. Be able to spice up whatever sort of meal you are eating. And it doesn't matter that you got that bare fridge because you got yourself some Texas Pete. For those who don't know, and you should know by now, Texas Pete has the spice and flavor that's kicking this football season up a notch. If you haven't tried the original hot sauce or their new traditional barbecue sauce, run, don't walk, grab yourself a bottle today. Visit TexasPete.com for recipes and hot apparel, plus take 20% off your entire order with promo code SaturdayDownSouth. That is all caps, all one word, Saturday Down South. Win big with Texas Pete when you sauce like you mean it. All right, well, one quick Mizzou thing that I was thinking about as I'm watching this game in which, I don't know, did Mizzou ever really have a chance in the second half of that game? Maybe you could point to a few instances here or there, but just kind of felt like Sam Hartman was going to make more plays down the stretch. Mizzou wasn't going to be able to win that game. 
that was mm-hmm. kind of the vibe. Correct me if I'm wrong on that. No, you're right. And we talked about it and I was like, ah, maybe Mizzou could be frisky. He told me to think about the play calling. And it was funny because I was watching, I was like, we were at a restaurant, like there were, there were TVs and I was like watching Mizzou's, like, I guess like the, the tying touchdown driver, the one that like kind of put them ahead. And it was like, okay, sweet. So we have a Brady Cook scramble again. And then we have like this pistol formation snap kind of goes over his head. He catches it like LeBron. And then everybody's like in his face because they're like, he's going to fumble and he just boops it over the top. And I was like, you know, that doesn't feel sustainable. And don't you know it? Don't think they scored again. yeah it wasn't that was the nicest thing you could have said about Missouri. you text me like right after that You're like brady cook they doing things risky uh yeah no it wasn't sustainable and mizzou ends up losing this game uh which went i think pretty much according to plan in terms of the way that we kind of uh laid it out in the preview that we did last week but i just began thinking to myself Eli Drinkwitz should be on the hot seat entering 2023 but is he is he because he's 17 and 19 with no winning seasons yet. A lot of people tweeting about that after the game, understandably so. He really only has one win away from home. That was, uh, let's say, a game that he wasn't supposed to win. And it was against South Carolina this year when we were kind okay. of thinking, ah, South Carolina's pretty middle of the pack type team. That, of course, is before they 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 found their their stride in a significant way in South Carolina. Super <laughs> Saiyan South Carolina. That's exactly what they were those last two games. Mizzou athletic director Desiree Breed Francois gave Drink the extension. Yeah, you were impressed that I just rattled His that name off. Is what? Her. Her. Oh, I'm Desiree. I'm I'm sorry. Yeah. First Hispanic female FBS athletic director ever. So mm-hmm. there's a fun fact for you. So she gave Drink the extension. That runs through 2027. And when I first saw it, and this is the reason why we didn't talk about this like a month and a half ago, more in depth, and why it didn't necessarily set me off in the way that it is right now. But when you see the contract and you see the bump in base pay up to six million bucks per year, you think, okay, that's significant, but the buyout is really the money that matters. So we talked about that a lot with Dan Mullen getting the bump in pay, but his buyout stayed at 12 million bucks. Sure enough, Scott Strickland decides, you know what? I don't care that we're less than a year from extending you. I think that we should just pay the 12 million bucks. We didn't raise that buyout. Boom. Let's be done with it. The numbers from the Columbia daily tribune are tough to stomach. If you're not in the pro drink camp. And even if you're kind of meh on him, this is bad. The the this is so bad that it is Iowa notebook treatment from me. Oh, well, let's go. I was we've waiting. we've got it right there. I had to lay this out. Okay, a little grid going on. Yeah, this is bad. But let's move beyond the fact right now that a seventeen and nineteen coach got a fifty percent raise, and he was once considered a potential bargain because. Hey, it's great to have a coach who calls plays too. That's seems kind of a little two for one deal. Don't do the offensive coordinator thing. You don't have to pay like a million and a half bucks for an OC. Great. You kind of pay for yourself. That's why you can kind of justify $4 million annual salary. Understandable to a certain extent. Um, He's apparently forking those duties over. At least that's what we think. Kind of TBD on that. I haven't seen anything that's been named official as of right now, as of 415 on whatever, you know, we're recording this on Tuesday, I guess it is. Um, but he's now seemingly doing more macro things instead of micro things. So let's just move beyond that for a second here. All right. Mm -hmm. Let's also move beyond the fact that 
if he were to stay for the remainder of the contract, he'd be making $7 million by 2027. Okay. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money for a coach who I'd say has been very meh, just very meh so far. Mm -hmm. The buyout, the new terms of the deal via the Columbia Daily Tribune. He gets 75% of the remaining contract. If Mizzou were to fire him in December of 2023, well, he'd be owed, by my calculations, $19,875,000. It's basically $20 bucks. if he's fired next year, okay? You want to fire him after 2024. So that's another two seasons that he is your head coach. You want to wait to fire him after then? You're still paying north of 15 million bucks. Mm-hmm. 2025, you're still paying just over 10 million bucks to fire somebody that to this point has yet to have a winning season heading into year four at a power five school that quite frankly, wasn't exactly in shambles when he took over. Yes. They had the one year bull band. It was that weird thing, but like Mizzou was fine before he got there. It wasn't like Arkansas or something like that. It wasn't like pre stoops, Kentucky. We're talking about here. The program was just fine. Okay. It was uh, Josh Heupel and Barry Odom. So I feel like that's pretty not terrible. <laughs> like, Yeah. And, and Heupel had the one year where he's gone. So I guess, 2019 was without Hypo and right, it was yeah. you know, a little bit more of a struggle with Dooley, but still at the you know, at the at the same time, right. But like, like as fun. a program, it's not like they were like where Arkansas was. That's what I'm saying. Exactly. So not exactly coming in. Like I, I like to add context with those numbers because I think we can often take that out of context, right? But with him, mm-hmm. I think it's perfectly fair to just call them what they are. The headliner there is that Mizzou would basically owe him 20 million bucks if it wanted to fire him after next year, which is insane. That is insane. And I like, I kind of like drink more than I don't. And even mm-hmm. though he says some things sometimes where I'm like, eh, I really need to say that. Should you really be doing that? I thought the yeah. Kansas sign, like holding that sign up at the game. It's a little bit corny. I think he's got a little bit too much wannabe Kiffin in him and kind of seeing him interact around lane. I've kind of seen some of the back end stuff that makes me go, ah, just kind of, you know, you do you don't worry about doing somebody else in terms of their style and the way that they like to poke the bear. I like that drink pokes the bear. I do. He's a friend of the program. We've had him on multiple times. Okay. Mm would love to have him on again, but I'm, I'm being honest because I think this is something that we need to be talking about. It, It really does. It really is. Somewhere between watching 38-year-old Sam Hartman pick apart Mizzou in the bowl game, it kind of hit me. We watched Wake Forest, Army, Boston College, and Kansas State all say in the last two years, Mizzou, (laughs) you're nothing. We got this, okay? Get out of our way. Don't give me this, ah, the SEC is just so tough and we're too hard on coaches and that's why he's got a record that's middle of the pack. Dude hasn't done squat against non-SEC competition of any value, okay? So I don't want to hear that. If you want to flex about some win against Louisiana Tech, all right, fine. That's on you. If that's the bar you want to set for yourself, be my guest. He got beat by a service academy, a couple of ACC teams without much talent, without much history, and he got beat really, really badly by a solid Kansas State team who won the Big 12 championship. What are you paying for if you're Mizzou? Like, what, what is Mizzou doing? 
I, I truly well, Kansas State is actually a really great allegory too. I'm glad you brought that up because you would think like, oh, that's like a good quality loss. But it's like, look where Kansas was or Kansas State. I mean, they had their coach, like you know, who they had forever, and you know, he had gone and come back and all this stuff. And it was like, how are we going to get out of this like out of the situation? And in a similar situation to where Mizzou was, where obviously, um. They had Pinkle for a very long time. He was like this program builder. He was their guy. And Kansas State has done this whole turnaround. You know, they they brought in Klein. They brought in these guys. They've won the Big 12. And if you're Mizzou, you're like, we're better than Kansas State. Like, what? why have they figured this out and we can't, you know? Same with Wake Forest. Why is, why is Wake Forest with Dave Clawson able to do these things with their unique scheme and a, and a quarterback who just kind of gets it? Like, Wake Forest Stadium is 31,000 fans, okay? Like, there, there, there's, there should be no excuses for Mizzou. There's not a world in which we should be living in, in which Eli Drinkwitz, after year four, after the meh that he's been so far, should receive 20 million bucks to go away. I just yeah. don't get it. So think about this too. Barry Odom, 25 and 25 overall, 13 and 19 in SEC play at Mizzou. Um, What's one thing that Drink has done that said – oh, you're better than the alternative or we could never replace you. You know, like who's going to take him? Nebraska? It's Colorado? I, both of them made splashier hires. And even if they did. Probably in better places, honestly. Like as yeah. program builders, those are your guys. Yeah, definitely. And now if you're Mizzou, you got to buy out of 20 million bucks next year. And if they go four and eight, which the East continues to get better. I don't necessarily see all of a sudden some answers in sight. I don't necessarily think that you can just look at that class, which was really promising last year, the one that Luther Burden headlined, assume that they're all of a sudden going to step in and make Mizzou some nine and three team in which you make good on your money. And then if that happens, you're probably going to give them another extension. Send them again. <laughs> like, what are, what are we doing here? What are we doing? And it just it blows me away. Like, do we realize that even if Mizzou waits another two seasons to fire drink, it will have to pay him a number that's basically what Auburn just gave Brian Harson to leave after two years? Mm -hmm. That's baffling. That is baffling. There's got to be some sort of offset language in the contract, which the Columbia Daily Tribune did not have that in that story of like, hey, if blah, 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 hires drink as the OC, it's all offset, blah, blah you know, whatever the case may be. But if he gets fired from Mizzou, he's not getting some long list of power five programs who are going to want him to come run their offenses at OC. He's failed mm -hmm. at that at Mizzou. So what are we doing? What are we doing? I don't get let it. Ask you, let me ask you a question. That I just don't know this. I mean, obviously they brought in that big recruiting class. What is their like NIL slash financial situation? Because that tends to matter more and more. Like are they a, a, a team that could just write that off? Or is that like, Oh, we're going to be in the hole if we have to pay that buyout. I don't think they're going to be in the hole. If they have to pay that buyout, they've never had to pay buyouts. Right. They don't do that with football. Like, do they have a culture of like, ah, like we'll figure it out later. Or do they have like, is that like a number that's like, uh, okay, we don't know what we're going to like. Cause usually if you have to pay a buyout like that and you're not used to paying bouts, you have to hire another coach for cheap to get out from under that buyout to then hire the guy that wins. You see what I'm saying? I think they're fine. And okay. I, I think them being able to finance their, their, their entire football renovation and do all the things that they did. There we go. Me, that's what it was. Yeah. To me, that suggests this isn't going to be some sort of like, oh, we would have to go really conservative. I thought they, I mean, a lot of people criticized them of overpaying for drink in the first place when he was getting $4 million annually. And I kind of looked at that. I'm like, ah, you know what? The base, like, that's not the biggest deal in the world. The, the base mm -hmm. pay is not 
necessarily like this this deal breaker. It's more of what you're paying these coaches not to work. And that to me, mm-hmm. we've talked about it a lot. Buyouts fascinate me. I just talked to somebody with the Knight Commission, the, the former CFO of Major League Baseball, and how interesting it is to uh, talk about the luxury tax of pro sports and how that could relate to college sports. I'm not sure if we've talked about it on these airwaves. But something that I think is really interesting in a program like Mizzou, who would theoretically be screwed by something like that for agreeing to a deal like this, where if I'm a new athletic director and I all of a sudden am looking at this situation and I'm thinking to myself, like, what what is saying that I have to create this buyout? Or at the very least, if that were the buyout, how can you not get some sort of Sam Pittman incentive-based buyout that guarantees you X amount of dollars if you're over 500 and vice and like, you know, whatever the parameters are? To me, it's it has become the second most baffling contract in the SEC behind Jimbo Fisher. That's it. And, and maybe we're going to have to do an entire ranking of how I feel about all these current contracts because it is just monopoly money for a lot of these schools with the new TV rights deals that are going to be set in play in the latter half of the decade. But I just wanted to bring that up because if I'm a Mizzou fan watching that bowl pre-Christmas and thinking about mm-hmm. these financial terms, thinking about a program that literally has not won a bowl game since 2014, I'm like, what what is going on here? Are we just spending because we want to be at the cool kids table or are we actually making the right investment for the future of our program? I don't know. Yeah, I think like to your point too, it's like, I'm not trying to like nickel and dime you on this point, but it's like at least the Jimbo thing, I get it. They threw money at the problem. They're like, you know what? Whatever. We're going to we're gonna hire Jimbo Fisher. He's a national championship coach, Heisman winner. Boom, boom, boom. We, he's been successful at Florida State. He was successful at OC, whatever. With drink, it's keeping up with the Joneses. Like to your point, it's like, why are you do, Why are you paying him this money? Because other people are paying money. And then to your point, I would exactly agree with that, which is like, okay, if you are Dan Mullen, Lane Kiffin, Steve Sarkeesian, any of these guys, even Scott Frost, if LSU, like if Denbrock stepped away and they hired one of those guys, I would be like, awesome. This is great. That guy was a great OC, not a great head coach. With Drink, I'm like, dog, are you even a good OC? Like not being mean, but it's like, why, who are you bidding against? Who Who is the other buyer that you're trying to keep away to keep him here? Um, And we could have a whole conversation about like, who is the last great head coach that called during the plays? And to your point, he's going to like get rid of that. But I mean, it's, it's just about, I said this like before they, <laughs> the Barry Odom uh, anti-revenge game where uh we, we saw Lamar Jackson, Brady Cook. But yeah. before that game, I was like, hey, like, where are we going here? Like, what's the plan? Like, I want to see something get built here. I don't really know what they're building towards. And you're right. Like, I think I'd say give him another year for sure. I don't think he's like, I wouldn't say fire him now for sure. Because I still want him to get like a chance to like really build something. Because with the Brady Cook thing, it just feels like it's like pushing it down the curb. And it's like, okay, you get an OC. You obviously have to get another quarterback. You know, I don't know if he might be eligible to these 30. I don't know. But I, I wouldn't bring him in again if you have the option. And so point being, like, I think... I think next year is going to be, I hope, a totally different Mizzou team where they're going to go away from that identity and maybe you make the decision then. But to your point, then you're in a situation where they're a totally new team. You're extending him again because he's different than what he's shown you. Yeah, that, that's and that's the problem. If he all of a sudden has a winning season, he's going to go back to the negotiating table because yeah. that's what these coaches do. And Mizzou has just put itself in such a weird spot, such an unnecessarily weird spot that, quite frankly, I, I don't understand. I, I try and make sense of some of these things. And try and look at it with a clear mind and kind of move past. Like if I think somebody, you know, isn't necessarily somebody that I want to have a, have a beer with, but at the same time, I, and I just think cool. we like drink. He's like a good dude. That's the thing. Yeah. He's, he's fine. He's been good to me in the past. I don't have any sort of vendetta, but I just kind of want it like, what a, want this to be known among not just Mizzou fans, but among SEC fans. And this is something that we should continue to talk about. So I wanted to bring that up in lieu of just talking about uh, a bowl game that 
Yeah, it was pretty forgettable for the most part. I mean, let's kind of call it what it is. Nice shirt that drink was wearing, though, to honor Mike Leach. Pretty cool. That's about it. Okay, let's talk about bowl games. Lots to get to. Whole lot to get to. Let's start with the Liberty Bowl, the Battle of Kansas. The Battle Kansas. of Kansas. There's our Kansas. Arkansas is a three-point favorite. The over-under I have is 500 total rushing yards. That's right. 500 total rushing yards. Track me. This should be KJ Jefferson, Jalen Daniels. Sneaky fun bowl quarterback matchup. Different styles as runners. Both coming back. Both would love to be able to get some good vibes going into next year. This, I would think, high-scoring game. But because it's a bowl game, you just kind of never know with this crap. You just never know. Are we sure that in this track meet that both teams are going to be hydrated? Serious question. Serious question. Water issues in Memphis right now. Big-time water issues. Hopefully everybody in Memphis, if you're listening to this podcast without water, Hopefully you're doing well. Hopefully get you water very, very soon. But I saw the the tweet from Trey Biddy shows up to the media hotel and they're like, oh yeah, we can't have anybody here at the media hotel. We don't have any water at this hotel. And there are a bunch of places around town that just do not have water. So that's not ideal. I think the question maybe isn't necessarily about players being able to stay hydrated. They will make sure that that happens. Of course, right, yeah. NCAA rules of no, a certain yeah. amount of like liquid you have to have. They're not think about there, like that commercial for the bed and breakfast where they're eating like this, the goo. <laughs> they're like, you're, you're better when you're hydrated with like the youth soccer team. But yeah, I mean, just imagine having to deal with that all week and then tackle, tackle rocket in the cold. That sounds horrible. Um, and if you can't get water, Gatorade, just get some broth. Brian Kelly, he's got a guy. He'll get you some New England clam chowder to have on the sideline <laughs> my gosh that that could be the situation for a few of these teams uh as we're dealing with some very strange uh weather these this late you know, late december bowl games that that have just been kind of a, a mess so far um are we sure fans are going to be able to use bathrooms are we sure i don't know i really don't know because happened at what that happened at a&m a couple years ago right that i seem to remember there was a game at a&m in which the bathrooms just shut down you just what? What are you supposed to do? I love the college people just test our infrastructure. Like we have, we have bathroom issues, water issues. We have people stuck in an elevator. We've been looking at stuff. So it's like, all right. Well, I hope you're ready because hundred thousand people are not not for this game, but like forty thousand people are coming. I don't know. Yeah, not ideal. Hopefully they get all that stuff figured out. Not fun to be without water. My in-laws were without water for two days during Christmas. We weren't there while we were, well, you know, uh, while this was happening, but they had to like go to their neighbors. They had to pour a gallon and a half of water, pour toilet flush. It was not ideal in any way. Um, they were frustrated. They got water back like an hour after we got there because we were flying out of Indianapolis, drove down from Chicago to be able to do that. But yeah, it's a mess. No water, no fun, not ideal in any way. Also not ideal. Drew Sanders, bumper pool, both out. I have no idea who's going to be doing the quote unquote tackling for, for Arkansas. They've been pretty bad at that. Just at full strength. Literally. The two guys who could tackle are those guys. So really, that's like you're missing five guys. It might be. It might feel like that. And Mizzou, uh, not Mizzou, but Arkansas has been hit pretty hard by the portal as well. So we'll kind of mm-hmm. see how depth impacts them. We know that they're going to be without Barry Odom. Maybe that's a good thing. Maybe that's a bad thing. I don't know. Their defense is just lights out in this ball game. Oh, gosh. Like, that'd be a the tough UNLV's like, uh-oh. Yeah. <laughs> we got a problem here, guys. I don't think Kansas is there's like a whole gift receipt thing around Christmas. Maybe we could anyway. (laughs) Yeah. I I don't think Kansas is much better at tackling. No, that's the issue. Uh, Kansas is, 
I think bottom, I want to say they're bottom 20 in the country against the run. This could be a day in which KJ Rocket, AJ Green, that O-line just feasts. They should have an advantage up front, I would think. That's kind of the benefit of having these guys that you know are coming back. You know, they'd like to be able to get the bad taste out of their mouths after what happened in the regular season finale. Just a weird year. Would make a lot of sense if Arkansas came out guns blazing in this one. I think the Hogs run. They run. They run some more. 42-31 win. They cover the spread. Sam Pittman gets to turn on the jukebox one more time in 2022. Well, what do you think? I'm with you. Yeah, this game, the more facts you give me about this game, the more awesome this game sounds. It should be honest. (laughs) I would rather those defenders not play because I feel like that would make it even more entertaining. But yeah, like point being, yeah, I think I'm I'm right there with you. I think that, you know, um, Kansas is one of those. This is a funny matchup because in like week three, this would have been like a a top 10 matchup. But now it's here. Like they've kind of had the exact same like plateaus and valleys. They're actually, yeah, this is a great matchup. Yes, I do think it will be Arkansas at the end of the day. Arkansas, all about Arkansas. Let's go to the Texas Bowl. Ole Miss, three-and-a-half-point favorite against Texas Tech. The over-under I have is five references to Mike Leach. I will be stunned, stunned if Lane doesn't have some sort of significant tribute to Leach in what he is wearing during the Texas Bowl. Mm-hmm. Don't think he can go full Dana Holgerson and wear a state sweatshirt. I, that threw me off. I, mm-hmm. When I saw that, I was like, wait. Wait, did, is that a state sweatshirt? Yeah. Right. No, yeah. That was like one of those like in passing, like, oh, cool. That looks like the, oh, it oh, is that. Yeah. yeah. Which I love. I, I kind of came to like that sweatshirt. That that just feels mm-hmm. like it fits. It just fits Leech so, so well to wear a black sweatshirt that just says state on it. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> it could go in any one of those sitcom shows where they don't have the rights to be able to talk about the college, just state across the You know chest. they gave him like like 10 options and he just pulled the bottom one from the shelf and was like, nope, no free promo. <laughs> yeah. I want a I want a black and white sweatshirt that just says state and I could just show up at random places. Team. Although now yeah, team. Now people associated with Mississippi State it probably wouldn't yeah. work. But yeah. Um so I, I think Lane is gonna have Leach on his mind very much. The best way for Lane Kiffin to honor Mike Leach, go out and beat Texas Tech. I think he'd love to watch Lane just tear up Texas Tech. Sad to think that Mike Leach's last bowl game he ever coached was a blowout loss to Tech. That doesn't feel right. I don't like that. What would feel right, Will? Ole Miss playing a super inconsistent game in which they look totally different from quarter to quarter. First quarter, Jackson Dart can't miss. He's throwing into big windows. Judkins dragging defenders for an additional seven yards. Ole Miss looks like a world beater. You're like, how did this team lose four games? To be fair, peak Ole Miss was pretty fun this year. We had some great moments courtesy of Ole Miss. Chris Partridge freaking out against Kentucky. He's got the shirt coming up. Tarps off. That's great. Remember, like Jonathan Mingo coming back against Vandy in that game, in which, you know, all of a sudden he goes full Elijah Moore and, you know, he's torching them and they're doing the, you know, the fire extinguisher on the sideline and Knox has it going. Like, Ole Miss was fun when good, but I don't think we can expect four quarters of fun from Ole Miss. I think that's unrealistic. I think at some point, Tyler Shuck starts cooking a little bit. He is a Joe Moorhead disciple, so you know that he can ball. Red Raiders played they, they played well down the stretch with him. And he's he's a well-traveled guy now, having been, you know, former starter at Oregon. They were good with him offensively. And take it for what it is, bowl momentum. I don't know that it's 
a real thing. Uh, I get it. If you make a, if you make a change at, at starting quarterback, that's all well and good. They were winners of what three of four down the stretch. Unlike Ole Miss, obviously saw the wheels come off losses in four of the last five after a seven Oh start. But here's the key thing in four of five games to close the season. When Texas tech was winning these games down the stretch, for those five games, they allowed 200 rushing yards. Uh, they might get run on a good amount in this one with Judkins. We're still waiting as of this moment on the status of Zach Evans. Hopefully he's able to kind of be healthy. We don't even know if he has declared, if he's going to declare for the draft yet, kind of TBD on that. Still, you're going to sense a theme here, and regardless of, of what Evans' status is for this one. I am going to default to a lot of bowl teams who have stud underclassmen playing and guys who have already shown during the year that they are at that level. You know what I mean? Not like, oh, you're getting your first career start or something like that. Proven underclassmen who are playing. So I think Ole Miss has that. I'm going to say Ole Miss wins by 11. How do you see it playing out? Yeah, I think so. Texas Tech is a super interesting team. I had to like check in on that as you were talking because I was like, yeah, I remember they had like all these overtime games at the beginning of the year. They, they had two of their first three wins were in overtime, and then like they just kind of lost four or five, and then yeah, they won three in a row. So just love college football because we have no idea what this team is anymore. Uh, but point being, like, yeah, they they had like a little bit of momentum like coming into the year, and the, and what I remember them for was beating Oklahoma, which was very funny. Um, that was like beat Texas big, too. Yeah, yeah, no, that's the class. That's the old like, all right, Texas Tech fans, you're gonna beat Texas, you're gonna beat Oklahoma. But um, like, point being, like, it's just a crazy season. So, yeah, it's like very funny um, that their like current coach McGuire is just like they Texas Tech was finally like, all right, we're done with the fun guys. We're going to bring like an adult in the room. And like he had a super cool tribute to Leach, which Leach was like the swing your sword hoodie. Like, um, but yeah, I do think that like, I mean, Lane can't just keep losing. Right. I mean, logically, like logically, Texas Tech should win this game. But you just kind of like look at these two rosters. You're like, come on, bro. Like it's, it's like, come on, bro. Like I will give him credit, though, like his recruiting class is this one in the previous one have been massive like not talent but like dudes like they brought in dude after dude like it's one of those things it's like you're gonna hit on like you know 60 70 percent of these guys and you're gonna have a whole new roster in two years so i think they're going a good direction but this has just been a super inconsistent team but to your point so is old miss i still gotta go with like again is this how lane is gonna like ride off into the sunset like weird loss to state auburn rumors lost to lsu lost to bama and then like texas tech like i don't see it bro i think i think that's gonna be i think that's gonna be old miss I think that Lane has actually done a pretty good job in some of these non-conference settings. I know <laughs> last year you had the loss to Baylor in which Corral goes down. Corral was off to a rough start in that game. They they probably don't win that game even if he stays healthy. So it's kind of tough to to put yeah. that because of how atypical that situation was. But, you know, we talked about it before. Lane's best win <laughs> – yeah, beating Indiana in the Outback. Indiana, who's your stand up? Come on, <laughs> so we're saying. Um, but yeah, I mean, even you know, this year taking Georgia Tech to the woodshed, a Georgia Tech team that obviously was dealing with a a, a lame duck coach, essentially with with the Jeff Collins deal. But you know, I, I think this would be a nice win for Lane to be able to kind of move past what was just an awkward end to the year, just a, an awkward end to the year, and not really a year in which you felt like you could really get excited about because everybody was kind of waiting for the shoot to fall. And right. then it did. And then it followed with the Auburn, the Auburn rumors. And you had these second half collapses. So this would be a nice opportunity for Lane to kind of get some of the some of the positive energy that he had in the first part, at least like early October, when you're like, oh, Ole Miss, kind of frisky. Man, a chance to be able to win nine games, maybe finish in the top 25. I think that would be significant for Lane. 
this is yeah this whole this year has just been like uh apex gaslighting right because any other any other like sec situation it's like if you finish a year like this you're in the hot seat but like all this fans should feel and this is how they feel fired up they keep playing given and so it's like that's a great way to just protect yourself it's just throw in some rumors and it's like hey it could be worse boys and so like point being like i hate to be the guy that like reads too much into stuff because this is very much like um talked about like backronyms like things that you think about after they happen like we didn't we didn't tell this at the time but it's like you could just kind of tell dude was really thinking about what his future was going to hold um i don't think that's why i lost to mississippi state i think that game was just a weird rock fight but like i i, I think that we're gonna see a little bit more like like I said, I think that now he is like bought in, totally invested. He's got his guys that, like you said, like the opt outs are gone. Like we have a roster that Lane, Lane Kiffin is like fully recruited at their younger guys. You get guys like Judkins, whatever Jackson Dart is, a dude who's on the roster. Uh, so, like, point being, like, I just, I, I, I think that like this hopefully will give them a little bit of momentum to get the hopium going into next year. Because then, yeah, like I said, you look back at it, it's like, how did they end this year? This dude is, just got this massive extension. I'm close to the hot seat, but that's just how it is sometimes. Sometimes it's just vibes. It would be a really bad game for Jackson Dart to A, get injured, and B, look really bad. Just those two things. Because Ole Miss fans, that, that's your guy going into next year. Um, oh, yeah. th- there's no portal help that is at least I don't think, and I could be wrong about that. If he were to get hurt, then you would obviously need to really go all in on some post spring edition. And maybe Kiffin would do something like that. But we talked about how thin that quarterback room suddenly is with Altmeyer entering the transfer portal. Obviously they didn't have a quarterback recruit last year. Didn't have one signed this year yet. So like we're, we're talking about a program that needs to kind of figure some stuff out at the most important position, which we know just, Seems like something that Lane is going to want to have squared away going into next year. And if Jackson Dark can come out in this game and kind of calm some of that angst about the quarterback situation, I think it would go a long ways. You know what? You know where they need to do is get McCall. That is a match made in heaven is Lane because he's still out there. I don't know if this dude has like a botanical studies degree or like what's going on, but I thought that was going to be the first shooter drop, but that dude's just chilling. If I'm Lane, those those two dudes, dudes, I mean, coming from Coastal Carolina, you are like a Lane Kiffin. Like, that is your boy. I would love to see them play together because he's got like a little bit of dual threat in him too. I, I Again, I'm not even out on Jackson Dart. I just feel like Lane is. So I feel like that chapter, I mean, you just never know. I, I would be all for that. Again, I, I'm going to sing the praises of whatever team is able to get Grayson McCall. I I, yeah. I truly will. And, and I think it's it's it, it'll be a very underrated move that we look up next year and maybe it's in a New Year's Six Bowl or, or something like that and Grayson McCall's playing. We're like, oh, that was a really smart move for him to transfer and go to a Power 5 program and look at what he's doing now. And it wasn't just the the unique Jamie Chadwell scheme. And, and you know, I am fully on board with that. And if that were to happen at a place like Ole Miss, very, very interesting for the future of Jackson Dart, needless to say. All right, Gator Bowl, South Carolina, Notre Dame. Notre Dame's a two and a half point favorite, the over-under I have. One and a half references to Mayo. What a weird thing. And you work in the gift business, so you deal with this. You're professional, that's me. <laughs> What a weird thing to have watched yourself do a ton. That is, get a concussion while a Gatorade cooler of mayo is dumped on you. But fitting, right? I mean, if you had to name one coach, like, yeah. yeah there's, there's a few. There's a few. Beamer's on the list, but there's a few. The who concussion definitely... is what separates him because he's like, yeah, let's do it. Bring it. Hit me, hit me with it. Let's go. Yeah, that's all you got? Uh, they, they've, they've made changes, by the way, in the Mayo Bowl. And I realize this is the Gator Bowl, not the Mayo Bowl. They have made changes to their Mayo lifters. 
At least that's what the Mayo Bowl Twitter account tweeted a few weeks ago. And they were looking for voluntary Mayo dumpers because mm. last year you had one job and you failed miserably. Yes. And I can say that, that that was definitely a concussion because I'm somebody that had two concussions playing freshman high school football. So I'm basically an expert on the subject. So, mm-hmm. you know, take that for what yeah, it you is. You got to worry about player safety when you're talking Mayo, all right? You do. Always. Stuff will, that stuff will stick with you. Stuck with, it stuck with Beamer for a very long time. Okay. Can't mess around with that. A lot of guys in this game who I wish were playing, but aren't. Okay. That's just, yeah. that's reality. Even in a game that I'm really excited about, it's a bummer to think about that. We, we won't have Drew Pine in this game. Notre Dame quarterback, Michael Mayer, their stud tight end, Jaheim Bell, Marshawn Lloyd. Also, no Marcus Satterfield in this game. Maybe a little bit of that Barry Odom stuff that we're talking about. Oh, addition no. by subtraction. Oh no! I mean, he's, I'll give him credit for exactly two weeks. So you know what? <laughs> uh, well, uh, we'll see. Uh, because this game will kind of confirm or deny what Beamer has been saying. Satterfield definitely called plays in those final two games. How dare anybody think that somebody came in at the 11th hour and was just in his ear the entire time. He wasn't locked in some room somewhere with some stunt double. Okay. This was actually Marcus Satterfield's game. It went to the top of the resume. He did those things against Tennessee. He did those things against Clemson. We totally believe you. Wink, wink. We know that Beamer is listening to this. Spencer Rattler is playing. That's the good news. Regardless of his next move, which is TBD, I felt like the move to play in this game for someone in his spot, pretty smart, okay? And I realize everybody's got their own situation, not here to to rip apart kids who play, kids who don't play, but I thought it was a smart move because if you opt out, you're feeding into that exact narrative that you've tried to put to rest this year. The obvious question, of course, is which version of Spencer Rattler are we going to see? I don't know. I don't know if he knows, okay? I really don't. We're going to see the guy who was nearly perfect in these last two games, or we're going to see the guy who looked like he was too far gone to ever light up quality competition in his first 10 games of this year and his first month as the Oklahoma starter last year. I don't know. I couldn't tell you. It'll be interesting to see what exactly he comes out looking like, knowing that there is a ton on the line for him, a ton. I mean, outside of Joe Milton, Nobody in a non-playoff game, in my opinion, has more riding on a bowl game than Spencer Rattler. Think about that. Talking NFL money, if he's able to have a really good showing, and people are gonna people are gonna say, How could you ever take a chance on Spencer Rattler? Doing it three consecutive games. We're watching Will Levis and Anthony Richardson supporters essentially rule out what they saw this year. For the vast I was about majority to say, how many games did the Richards put together in a row? <laughs> so if you think that all of a sudden, like, oh, Spencer Rattler is like, nobody would, would possibly look at him. I'm not saying he's getting love like those two guys are mm-hmm. because there's a little bit more of a sample size. But still, man, there will there will be a lot of people very dialed into this one, wondering if he's worthy of a mid-round selection. And it depends. Depends what that feedback looks like probably from him. I'd be fascinated to know what he has heard about his overall valuation, what can improve in this game, how much that can improve in this game. And it's kind of a it's kind of a bittersweet deal for South Carolina fans because in your ideal world, if you're a South Carolina fan, Spencer Radler looks awesome in this game and he announces that he's coming back for one more year. But in reality, if he plays really well, I'm assuming that he's going pro. And all of a sudden, it's Luke Doty o'clock, maybe. OK, 
Okay. He said he's coming back next year too. Maybe they go to the transfer portal, get our new best friend, Grace McCall. Just saying, got the Carolina connection. Just throwing that out there. I keep going back and forth. I, I, I've gone all over the place in this game. It's kind of put my brain in a pretzel. I thought about changing my pick from what I originally said a few weeks ago. And then I'm like, ah, am I overthinking this? I'm going to say Notre Dame wins. I'm going to say Notre Dame wins. Rattler throws a late pick and South Carolina loses a game that it felt like was right there. It was right there, but they lose 21, 17 Marcus Freeman ends year one. A la Shane Beamer. Very, very similar to, to Shane Beamer with a much better second half after a very frustrating start. Um, but yeah, I think that South Carolina comes up just short. What do you think? Will? I'm uh, doing the favorite segment of Will reading the internet because I'm trying to figure out who Drew Pine's backup is, and his name is Tyler uh, Buchner. 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 They just they clone Big Ten quarterbacks. There's like three names available, and it's just got names like Tyler Buchner and Drew Pine. Anyway, so point being, I don't I don't know. Like that's the thing is like that's a guy starting his first time. But again, it's like no, you know, I started was, earlier in the year. He started. He was he was their um their early season starter. Oh, you're right. You're right. But like you know, what I'm saying like he's well, I'm looking at his pass attempts, but that's also fair. Like he's. <laughs> He has attempted 50 passes, has zero touchdowns and two interceptions. So put them in the other in the other quarter, Spencer Rattler. So we'll is... pull up the Marshall box score. Oh yeah. No, that's uh yeah, that was that yeah. game, wasn't it? Yeah, like that's I was like, I've seen this guy. But yeah, like point being, it's like it, this truly is a game that, like you said, could go so many ways. Because yeah, we could see how you like we know Spencer Rattler game, but we could see one of those where he stays, honestly. We I think that if you're a South Carolina fan, this is kind of the dream. It's weird because South Carolina fans uh, South Carolina has like all these weird moving pieces, but strangely, it's like quarterback is just not one because it's like you either have Spencer Rattler who is confirmed good, like probably just a, f- a function of like not a good offense, because we saw him be pretty good at, at Oklahoma. We saw him be this highly rated transfer guy, we saw him finally find himself on the Tennessee game and it's like, okay, well that's your option. And then behind him, to your point, you have Doty, who's like also good. Like he's at least like a guy that guy they're excited about, you know what I'm saying? Like guy that it's like, all right, well, like if this guy is our guy, it's not like we're even like in the bazooka Joe situation. It's like, this is a guy that fans have known that they're kind of like, been, wait, in my, what do you tell me? You, I, that truly, I don't know what the vibe is around Luke Doty. A little similar to, to Joe Milton, very <laughs> different in what they, they bring to the table. Obviously um, I was pretty critical of Doty, during 2020, which was a loss season. Let's take it for what it is. Right, but South yeah. Carolina fans were kind of over the moon about him. I'm like, are we sure he can complete a pass of 20 yards? Are we sure that he can do that yet? Because uh, that, that seems pretty important in the year 2022. But I'm not necessarily of the belief that if Rattler goes, that they're all of a sudden just fine with Doty. I think that they would still be active hmm. in the portal. I think they have too good of an opportunity not to take on an opportunity like that. Also, remember that Doty wasn't necessarily Beamer's guy. Right. No, that's a good point. Well, then maybe that's also a... I'm trying to be positive here. Never mind. <laughs> Fear that as well, South Carolina fans. Everything is no, just kidding. But I'm, yeah, the like, I'm the hater here. Yeah. <laughs> this is gonna be fun. Yeah, because it's like this is the I've never seen a team. It's like the opposite of Ole Miss. It's like Ole Miss is good vibes and they're like losing all these games. That guy's like, how do you have such bad vibes and you just keep winning games? Like you guys, you need to like call a meeting and be like, are we out or are we in? How do we keep but anyway, point being, like, yeah, I this is so chaotic too, because like you know, Saturday or uh, not 
not Marcus Satterfield, Marcus Freeman had that like the uh the the game where they were beating Oklahoma State and then it was like aha Brian Kelly was the problem and then they like lost like the biggest lead in, in like I don't know if it was bowl history or Notre Dame history but it was a history that was storied and they lost like this massive lead and so point being like I could kind of I could truly see this going either way I see why you know what I'm saying it's it's a it's a tight spread but I think South Carolina is just going through some stuff man at least the coaching staff is on the same page in Notre Dame like at least they have like you know Reese is a former quarterback he's uh, you know they they have some dudes that have been with the program a while and it feels like with South Carolina like we don't really know what the next that's why I talk is like the, 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 the current version of the next version and that's what we keep seeing in bowl games with South Carolina it's like I don't even know what the next version is I don't know if it's this I, I don't know because really like to your point it's like well maybe they just come back maybe like they have or, or sorry um maybe at the quarterback position they come back and then they just kind of get better but with at least with Notre Dame they're all on the same page so I, I yeah. do think that Notre Dame is probably going to win this would be a gritty win for South Carolina. It'd be a nice, nice victory. Nice way to get to nine wins if mm-hmm. they can do that against a, a Notre Dame team that I, I think has been really up and down this year. They've been kind of maddening from an offensive standpoint. The fans have just hated the quarterback situation for a lot of the year, even though Pine like Pine actually ended up having a decent season. But I, there were a lot of Notre Dame fans who were just kind of like, yep, sayonara. Enjoy the portal. See you later, man. Um, but yeah, I, I think this is a game that will feel winnable. And because I don't know, for whatever reason, I feel like Notre Dame plays in a lot of these very close kind of frustrating right there for the taking type games, unless they play Clemson, of course. So, right. um, Yeah. But I think South Carolina comes up just short in this one. If South Carolina ends their season with wins over Tennessee, Clemson, and Notre Dame, I right. do not want to hear a single person upset over there. I don't know. No, zero. Their portal closes when you beat Notre Dame. No more portal. <laughs> yeah, seriously. No guys are allowed to enter after that. That would be, um, that, that'd be, that'd be darn impressive. That in terms right. of three game stretches for anybody in, in recent memory, including Bama, yeah, including football. Georgia. Yeah. It, that, that would be, that would be a, a really impressive feat considering what we thought we knew about South Carolina after the Florida game. And it has not been the case on the stretch. Orange bowl, Tennessee, Clemson, speaking of South the Carolina, orange, just orange bowl. Can't be any more orange than this orange bowl. Let me tell so you, orange. buddy, five and a half point favorite Clemson is the over under I have is, one and a half references to South Carolina. Well, which South Carolina loss is tougher to stomach for these programs? I guess South Carolina won. Which is tougher to stomach? Do you think Clemson or Tennessee? I mean, it's got to be Tennessee, right? Because, I mean, Tennessee also, like, I don't I feel like Tennessee was so good vibes. Like, we, I know we keep talking about this, but I'm keyed in on it. It's like, they obviously were, like, struggling. Like, they were kind of, like, they weren't the same team. Like, they were kind of, like, having a little bit of that LSU vibe. And then, but like that was really just a punch in the mouth, and they were like, I think they were, they were fifth at the time, right? Yeah, they were. Uh, yeah, they were fifth. They were fifth. They were just on the outside looking in. The tough part about that, though, and why? Because if Hooker's not healthy, yeah, then Tennessee well, that's the fans thing, know. Like, that's the whole. That's the whole like thing that was like, if the game doesn't play out the way it plays out, then he probably doesn't get healthy. So it's like a redo, basically. Or he doesn't get hurt. You know what I'm saying? Like it's not like I don't think you could say he still get hurt. Get still gets hurt in a win because by the time he was hurt, the game was already in hand. You know? I think he still could have gotten hurt. I think he still could have gotten hurt either way because he's still trying to make plays. No, know, yeah, with, with his legs. So it's it's tough to to walk that one back. It sucked for both programs. I mean, let's yeah. call it what it is. South Carolina just drove a dagger into the hearts of those fans. And I think that Clemson might have the slight edge just because of the rivalry thing. But I could argue that DJ, you know, might still be QB one if they were about to be in the playoff and a little bit of a blessing in disguise for, for Clemson that it kind of worked out the way. Maybe it's better for long term than, 
you know, than, than what it could have been. Um, but yeah, that's a tough question to answer. By the way, I love that a few people tweeted at me. Um, why did you ask Jalen Hyatt about the Georgia rematch? Because that's in theory what they could have gotten if they would have made the playoff and avoided that South Carolina loss. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's fascinating how confident athletes are. And even after a day like that, it's so tough for athletes to think about doing anything but win. And that sounds very basic, but I think to sometimes tap into that mindset, because I'd like to think that we're somewhat practical and we are realists and we're not sitting here saying 21 point underdog is about to win a football game. We have a different mindset. Coaches are a little bit more politically correct and athletes are kind of just like, no, I think we'd win. And so that's why you ask something like that, because yeah, that's kind of what I thought he would say. And why wouldn't you, if you're in somebody's shoes, like Jalen Hyde, I don't necessarily fault him for ask for answering that way. Even if I disagree with him, even if I think that Georgia put me into a locker and said, Hey nerd, how dare you pick against our team? I don't blame Jalen Hyde for answering the way that he did. There's nothing wrong with answering with asking that question. There's nothing wrong with answering that question. So I just wanted to throw that out there. That's say. like a football versus other sports thing too. Because when you got baseball, you get a longer season. Basketball, longer season. So like guys, when you lose in basketball, a lot of times guys are like, yeah, we suck. Like whatever. Ha ha. Yeah. Football, it's like I I want to speak to no one and play death metal. Leave me be. Yeah. I will win again. Will, <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna win tonight's sleep. I'm gonna start off one. <laughs> yes, exactly. Jalen Hyatt, one of the many guys who is not playing in this game, along with Hooker, Cedric Tillman, Miles Murphy. New Year's Six Bowl in which two season-long backups will be starting. Kate Klubnik has a chance to get some of that early 2023 Heisman buzz with a banner showing. And all of a sudden, if that happens, Clemson kind of moved past the fact that in a year that was supposed to be all about bouncing back, it was kind of just more of the same for Clemson. I don't think anybody all of a sudden changed their opinion of Clemson from 2021 to 2022. Joe Milton, on the other hand, cannot look like the guy that we saw in early 2021 he cannot that that video of him throwing the orange will inject that into my veins it was electric if you haven't seen it joe milton throwing an orange ahead of the orange bowl he hits the back wall if football isn't his future professionally he needs his own television show in which he just throws random objects as far as he can bazooka joe throws or maybe just bazooka joe i feel better about him as a closer than an nfl prospect does that make sense oh yeah oh yeah you get bazooka joe out there for like five pitches i actually feel pretty good about that dude just give him a soul patch and he's ready to roll so somebody's got to make that happen. I definitely th- started thinking of the objects that I'd like to see Joe Milton throw gallon of milk, an egg, maybe a medicine ball, or maybe not. Maybe we, we just kind of stick to things that explode and we stick to the name bazooka Joe. Um, he could probably make a medicine ball explode. So I guess we shouldn't rule that out, but a lot of things that Joe Milton could throw very, very far. And after seeing that orange, which I don't think has landed yet, I think that was just, they doctored the video that that's still going. Mm-hmm. Um, it just, you know, piqued my interest. So just wanted to throw that out there. If we get two completions of 60 yards from Bazooka Joe, that is a win. All right. Mm-hmm. It's all we can ask for in a game like this. If the very first scripted play of this game is anything but a little hitch and go to squirrel white, I'd like to have a word with Josh Heupel. I would. 
that play to start, it is never lost. Sorry to quote LeVar Ball, never lost. Never lost. Undefeated. If there is ever a team, a, a player who should have a hitch and go from the jump, it is Joe Milton and throwing it to score away. That needs to happen. Kind of a quietly pivotal game for Josh Heupel with no Alex Golish calling plays. I don't know that those guys left on the best of terms. I don't know that. Just throwing that out there. Mm-hmm. Had, had, had somebody tell me some interesting things about the relationship there, and it wouldn't surprise me if the Josh Heupel motivation was very high to want to show, eh, maybe we didn't need Alex Golish. I, I could be wrong on that. Could be wrong. I'm willing to admit that. But just wouldn't surprise me if there was a little bit of extra motivation. Also, remember, he's trying to negotiate that new contract. We talked about that with Trey Wallace. That makes sense for Tennessee having a pulse in this football game. I don't think they're going to lay down and die. I just can't get there with Joe Milton. I can't. I really can't. I think Clemson rolls by three scores. Like, I think this one's lopsided. I think the Klubnik-Shipley combination should have a lot of success against the Vols. I have this weird feeling that when I close my eyes and think about how this game plays out, that Dabo is going to pretend like winning this game is a sign that Clemson is still championship level, even though it's clearly a significant step below that at this point. Mm -hmm. But I just think that's the way that it plays out. Am I too anti-Tennessee with this one? Um, Okay, so just hand up. I haven't totally kept up with this specific thing. How many of the Tennessee receivers are coming or playing in this ballgame? We got at least – well, we got two that are out. We got two that are out. The two that are that are definitely going to be playing, Brew McCoy, Ramel Keaton, Squirrel White also going to be playing this one as far as I know. Again, we, we it's difficult to track, but we're not getting Cedric Tillman. We're not getting Jalen Hyatt. There you go. Okay, cool. Um, Yeah, I mean, that was probably going to be the only like thought that I had for Tennessee. It's like, yeah, maybe Bazooka Joe could hit these receivers. And like I said, like that was a spin zone with him playing against Vandy as he did get like a game with these receivers or whatever. But I, yeah, I, it's just one of those things with Clemson where it's like their offense is bad, but it looks... I think DJ might just be bad. I don't know. Because, like, obviously when they benched him in that Syracuse game and, like, the fact that he, like, retained that starting job after that, I feel, was weird because Syracuse wasn't even that good. Like, they ended up – at that that point, they were good. I understand. I'm a big believer in, like, when you play a team matters. And, like, at that point, they were good. But they shouldn't have struggled that way. Like, I believe they were at home, were they not? Like, that was a weird – It was a weird – Yeah, yeah, that was a weird game to watch. So, point being, like, that was when I watched most of my my Cade Klubnik watching. I think that was most most of it. But he was was way better than DJ in that game. And so, I feel like you have a situation where – you might upgrade at quarterback versus a massive downgrade and losing two of your receivers who also help that quarterback look good. So, and also like Davo is very weird about like the games that he's good in. Like this feels like a game that it's like when you listen, he's had people making fun of him all week. He's lost games. He's had a guy into the portal. This is like prime Davo. Like this is why we don't mess with any of those bad apples. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. DJ going to Oregon state. How about that? It's actually a really nice fit with yeah. them returning their entire offensive line. They run the ball a lot. They don't throw a lot. Exactly. And the more he throws, the worse he is. I see what you're trying to say. Exactly. <laughs> and I like Jonathan Smith. Jonathan Smith, really good offensive mind. Might have a chance <laughs> to be able to figure out what DJ is. Don't have to necessarily fight with all these different dudes for, you know, for a starting job. And, you know, makes sense. Just want to throw that out there. Um, okay. Sugar Bowl, Will. Alabama is a six and a half point favorite against Kansas State. The over-under I have. Three and a half references to playing for pride or some variation of that. Okay. That's mm-hmm. going to be 
Very popular topic of conversation. I love that Bryce Young and Will Anderson are playing, and I will support that decision even if they tear their ACLs on the opening play. And if that happens, so help me God, I will just stay off the internet for the rest of the day. I will. I will. <laughs> Do not test me, okay? As I said with Lad of the Week, the only thing that I'm openly rooting for in this game is for those two guys not to get hurt. Let's just celebrate this and acknowledge that this is no longer the expectation for these potential top five, top 10 picks in non-playoff bowl games. Okay, mm-hmm. let's, let's treat it for what it is. Kind of sucks for Chris Kleiman. Then he's probably assuming that these guys weren't going to play. And then you realize, oh, God. We have to stop Bryce Young. Oh, oh God. We have to we have to deal with Will Anderson. Those guys should be gone right now. This isn't fair. I call cheating. They shouldn't be allowed to do this. They will. I doubt that Saban wants to throw the ball 40 times. I don't think he wants to put Bryce Young in harm's way. I think we see a lot of Jameer Gibbs, another guy who did not opt out in this game. I think we see a lot of him. And on the flip side, Kansas State, this was already a run-heavy team with Deuce Vaughn. Okay, Deuce Vaughn, you got mobile quarterbacks, which everyone's going to be starting in this one. It it wouldn't make sense to decide, let's throw the football and let Will Anderson try and beat one of our tackles. That seems like a really bad formula if you're trying to be able to beat a team that you probably shouldn't. I've been saying for a few weeks that I I think Bama, even if Bama wasn't going to have these two guys, I thought they were going to show up. I I just were. Or I just did. I, I thought that these three games sort of confirmed that they still have a pulse. They're still playing like a team that um, maybe, I, I don't want to say underachieved because that's that's the wrong way to say it, where, where everybody's going to say that Bam underachieved. And if they win this game by 30 points, we're going to say, wow, this, this was peak Bama. When in reality, they might have just not been able to figure a lot of things out. The identity of where to turn in this situation in third and five and how much offensive play calling was a struggle this year in some of those key spots. And yes, that is Bill O'Brien slander. Okay. Bama fans, you can feast. You can feast, especially if Bill O'Brien ends up taking the Patriots OC job, which who knows if that's going to happen by the end of this game. Maybe it looked great on Sunday or Saturday, I guess, you know, man, I mean, Hey, they had Mac Jones was on the field um, playing football and yeah, so I don't know why you would move away from Matt Patricia as your play caller. I feel like he's been successful everywhere he's been, really. So, what a bad situation, man! What a bad situation. It's Yikes. so funny because it's like that is objectively the right move for them to hire Bill O'Brien. But I'm just like, please keep Bill O'Brien in Alabama. We need a chance. We need a chance to win these games because if you gave the, these guys the lead, Kiffin, their Steve Sarkeesian, this this game would not be played. Kansas State they- would have come out there and been like, "All right, bro, we are gonna lay down our arms and surrender." That's fine. <laughs> yeah, is, are the Patriots the ultimate bad vibes team in the NFL? Some people are asking. It's people bad. are asking. It's really. But bad. yeah, no. On on to this game, bro. I I, I, this is I I feel like you know if you're and I've been in a similar situation to this as a fan it's like okay boom we we kind of had our like above our head win we beat TCU and like some could argue because our quarterback got hurt in the first game against TCU it's like oh, maybe we could have beaten them the first time too we're like okay cool all right we're playing Alabama but hold on they probably have a lot of opt-outs maybe we could sneak up on them nope okay well they got Anderson they got Bryce Young and Javier Gibbs. It's like, bro, if you were doing just like a schoolyard draft in college football, like forget the NFL, a schoolyard draft. I don't even care if you can't tackle him, still take a well interest in the top two or three. And then like Gibbs is right there. So it's like, dang, bro. Like, and I get it because it's like those guys are like, you know, going one to three in that range in the draft. It's like, hey, if you're Will Anderson, like that's 
I, I, I hate how good Alabama is because it's literally it's a pride thing because they're literally competing with one another. It's like if Will Anderson comes out this five sacks, he can go number one. You know what I'm saying? Not five, but like three or four. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, this this does have potential to um I, I don't want to say improve their draft stock. Hayes probably in the barn with, with those no, guys. No, like that the Hayes in the barn, but, but you see what I'm saying. Like that's one of those guys. Obviously, quarterback is these are both like positions of need. So like it doesn't really matter. It just depends on where your team is at. But it's one of those things where it's like if you need a quarterback, you see Will Anderson like just destroy Kansas State. It's like maybe that guy could actually be better. I don't know. Yeah, could be. Yeah, definitely could be as as a fan of a team that might be picking number two overall and is gonna have to debate whether or not they want to trade down picks as opposed to drafting Will Anderson or Jalen Carter. I'm heavily invested in the future mm-hmm. of Will Anderson, what his draft stock is going to look like. I think it's kind of a, a really big missed opportunity for Jalen Milrow. Nobody's really talking about that because it's all about Bryce Young playing in this game. Mm-hmm. Um, but a missed opportunity in that, I don't know what Bama's going to do with the portal, with quarterback. And I understand Ty Simpson is, is you know, you, you feel good about him. Eli Holstein's coming in and like, all right, we got a loaded quarterback room. We don't need anybody. We don't need anybody. I get it. And fans always want to see the guys that they've been talking about since they were recruits from the day that they were putting them at the top eight in their, you know, list of choices and whatnot. But I don't know that Bama is going to definitively stand by Jalen Milrow moving forward. Because I'm assuming this is Bryce Young's last game in an Alabama uniform. Okay. Hasn't been made official as of this recording, but I'm assuming it's going to be. And if all of a sudden, you know, you're looking at the portal and you're like, hey, you know, Sam Hartman, who entered the portal earlier today, Pete Thamel reported that Notre Dame is expected to be the school, but I don't want to say Bama's going to be able to buy whoever it wants, but Bama might have some deep pockets, might have some some funds reserved for the right transfer transfer portal quarterback. Mm-hmm. If somebody like that were to come open, you just don't know. You just don't know in this day and age. Um, and Aaron Murray is a big fan of Sam Hartman to Alabama. I was more a fan of Sam Hartman to Tennessee. But you get what I'm saying here. Things could get interesting. Could get really interesting for Alabama with the quarterback situation. That spread. It's also interesting, Will. Spreads minus six and a half. Vegas has finally decided not to give Bama some two touchdown spread. Yep. Why? They're finally on to the stat that we've been talking about for a very long time. <laughs> They've been listening to the pod, finally. Yeah. I mean, we have talked about this so, so much. All the one-score games that they have been in in the fourth quarter, dating back to the start of 2021. They had five games this year that were decided in the final minute. I'm saying Bama wins this by eight. So it's another one-score game, technically. And I guess that's a cover, too. But I find myself... I, I First of all, I, I, if I were one of these people that like I, I bet on five games or something like that, in a weekend, I would probably stay away from this one, even though I do think Bama wins this outright. I, I still don't necessarily think it's some lock that they cover minus six and a half. I don't I don't assume Bama's gonna roll. I think Bama controls the game, but I don't necessarily think it's as lopsided as some forecasted when they saw that Bryce Young and Will Anderson were gonna be playing. I love that like up and down these like these things. It's like, oh, this quarterback's not playing. They're like, oh, this OC's gone, this coach is gone. Da-da-da. Alabama's like, no, everybody's there. But you just don't want to bet this game because they aren't ready to go to the road. I love that. That's so funny. Like, just to be honest, like, think about it. this bowl because you're really going to avoid that game. It's like, this is the most consistent team in all of bowl season. And I agree with you. Uh, <laughs> because, right, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, because I'm like, all these bowls are minefields. You just never know. But for this, it's like one thing that's, if you can count on consistently, like, you're right. And, and I do think, though, 
I'm going to get burned. This Alabama team has probably cost people more money, I think, than any team in the history of sports. Like yes, the fact that's that, a great point. Like, <laughs> they have got to be a team because the fact that they've looked good enough to not cover, but like they haven't looked bad enough to like drop the lines. Exactly oh, what you're saying is like every line has been double digits. I don't know how many, like literally Mississippi State, I think is the only game that they have looked comfortably won. I think they've um, covered two spreads in the last two months. Yeah. It's <laughs> the so point being like, it's like, how, anyway, so yeah, I I would I would bet Bama in this one. I feel like you know, like I said, there just has to be at some level, at some level. I, I don't want to be Mr. SEC Homer guy, but it's like the talent has to matter. It just has to. At some point, finally, this team has to get it in the last game that all these studs are going to be together. I just want weirdly, I want that for them. Like I want that closure. I want them to like extend Bill O'Brien. I want everyone to just ride off into the sunset. Really. <laughs> How sunny would it be if Bama with these guys playing lost? You know. Yeah. Like we can't, we can't, don't do the motivation thing, by the way, don't, don't do that. Unless it's Will Anderson and Bryce Young are playing for a quarter and then it's, you know, that's the only case in which you could really throw that out there and be like, all right, how seriously were they taking this game? If no. They, yeah. If they lose, that is like an all, all, all time bad save. That's like ULM level. If they have these guys and those eh, guys, not like, ULM. come on, that's not, bro, come on. Kansas state with Bryce Young, Will Anderson, Big 12, and Jameer Gibbs. Big 12 was, Big 12 was decent this year. Big 12 was decent. Big 12. Come on, bro. Big we're, talking about Alabama, we're talking about the Crimson Tide of Alabama with a full with the number one and potentially number two draft pick in the NFL. If they lost to Kansas State, that would be hilarious. That would like, but it was I think, like, this year. I mean, right, but I'm saying like this is the game that Saban wins. Like every single yeah, time. That's like, that's how, like that's what I'm like. There's a couple of weird ones. There's like a Utah, Oklahoma, whatever, but it's like this that's not this. These are not those. Like the, Kansas State is a fine team. I'm not dumping on them. I'm truly not. But when you look at those teams, it's like those were teams that were like undefeated or like riding these crazy seasons. And then all and like, of a sudden not playing in a national championship. And this is like right. your first game after that. Yeah. Exactly. Totally. Like this is this has been this team all year. And that's kind of what I'm saying is that like there was probably some type of discussion between Young and Ayers. like, no, no, no. We want to go out and win this game. Yeah. Like it's not, we're not gonna come back we ain't come to play school we we came to beat the crap out of kansas state and right off into the sunset and weirdly i find myself rooting for alabama again hilariously i've done that a lot this year it's been the worst year in history to alabama. yeah <laughs> well the same era at least yeah, yeah. I, as i said before i'm like I, I booked a flight to to atlanta for for saturday morning um for the peach bowl and made sure that it would not conflict with that game because i'm like i, I gotta be able to watch this gotta be able yep. to make sure that i can watch this from start to finish really really looking forward to it it's cool man. up to the billing it's it, cool. as a it's bama fine. hater and a college football fan this is what you want to see you want to see closure you want to see these guys like dap it up for a last time do the little jump take the picture and then do the little jump in the nfl and you, you see the video it's cool man nothing but clean daps that's all we can ask for in this game mm-hmm. Just clean daps and clean daps music city bowl i was a two and a half point favorite against kentucky the over under is godly depressing Three offensive touchdowns. Oh, how I wish Cade McNamara and Devin Leary could actually play in this game instead of the quarterbacks that we're going to be treated to watching. I really do. Um, and maybe Kaya Sharon's going to be good. Maybe we're going to see a little bit of Deuce Hogan. Revenge game, Deuce Hogan. Not a lot of people know that. Former Iowa quarterback. Literally walked across the sideline at the Citrus Bowl last year. Was like, hey, I'll I'll join Kentucky. I'll walk on. I'll do whatever I can to get away from Brian Ferentz and the Iowa offense. Just... Look, show me where to sign. I'll do it. A survivor of Brian Ferris. <laughs> he really is. Brian Ferris call plays in this game. Rich Gangarello isn't. Uh, that, that's advantage Kentucky, in my opinion. I love nepotism. I really do. It's one of my favorite things in college football, nepotism. Brian Ferris is a great reminder that there is no job security quite as thick as blood. And I know that doesn't make sense, but you got what I mean. Okay. Mm-hmm. I feel bad for Iowa fans. I truly do. My two best friends are Iowa fans. 
this is such a crappy place to be as a fan base right now. For a while, it kind of felt like Iowa had the ideal scenario for a team that doesn't get the blue chip recruits because very similar to Wisconsin. Okay, you know what you are. You're going to go to a New Year's Six Bowl every few years and have one of these really fun years where you just say to yourself, oh, maybe, maybe we're right there. We're right there. Top 10. Hey, you never know. We kind of got these blue collar guys. We're going to send a lot of guys to the NFL. Just never know. But ultimately, they've kind of fallen back into this, uh, this very frustrating place where you feel like you have a coach who's abusing his power. And I don't mean that just because of the Chris Doyle stuff, which, um, yeah, shout out to Urban Meyer for trying to hire him with the Jags. Really smart move by him. This this felt like uh, a Big Ten version of Kentucky. Or Kentucky felt like the SEC version of Iowa for, for a little bit. And because Mark Stoops, the Iowa grad, he played there, of course. I think – Stoops in the last two, three years has shown us exactly why he's not Kirk Ferentz, in my opinion. Stoops is about to be on his fourth offensive coordinator in as many years. I guess if you count Liam Cohen's stints as separate, I mean, different coordinators every single year. You know, he gets away from Eddie Grant, a guy who, you know, he was very, very close to and and meant a lot to him and did kind of what what Kirk Ferentz isn't doing with Ryan Ferentz. Mm -hmm. Uh, Liam Cohen not calling plays in this game, though, as we talked about the other day. Not calm place. Vince Morrow is calm place. I was talking to my brother about this. He had another game. Um, he called plays in the the bowl game against NC State a couple of years ago, in which he accidentally called. KSR was talking about this. They had like twenty two consecutive plays that he called to the left, <laughs> just by accident. <laughs> just call to the left. To the left. <laughs> Big Beyonce fan. Vince Morrow is. Um, I don't think that happens in this one. Probably going to be a little bit more mindful of that. Uh, that's something like I would do in Madden. He said, quote, we will score points. So come on now. Hey, get get active. That's that's something you put down the wall. Points plural? Yeah. What are you points? All right. Um, I'm mm-hmm. I'm gonna take his word for it. I'm gonna say that he scores 17 whole points and Kentucky wins this rock fight 17 to 10. This is, I think. I haven't checked officially to make sure this is the case. I assume this is the Sickos Committee Bowl game of the year going in. Oh, I mean, yeah, that's the this year. Is what you I, dream of. <laughs> you got to think about the year, but for sure, yeah, I'd have to. But wow, man, yeah, this is something. I mean, especially like without. Oh man, and Sharon's the guy that we saw against South Carolina, right? Yeah, he struggled. He struggled big time. And that was like not South Carolina. We know. I mean, that's just South Carolina played very, very well. And I thought up front they dominated that matchup in the trenches. That defensive line really got after it. But no, for sure. Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean that offensive line all of a sudden is it's a, about the same. Me, I feel like I could get one or two good pressures on the Kentucky. If you really give me give me some clam chowder and a Red Bull, I think I could get to Will Levis. Big Blue Gate <laughs> might be wide open for Kaya Sharon. That might not be good. But yeah, no, I mean, I think, but on the other end of it, like to your point, it's just like, I will never pick Iowa to score a point. I don't care. Like this version of Iowa, it's funny, man. Cause I grew up watching like Sean Green and those boys, like they've had like not never great offenses. You know what I'm saying? They had a quarterback who like was invited to the Heisman in like the early two thousands. I was reading about the other day, but like, it's crazy to think that like they, they just have gone so far backwards. But yeah, I mean, even the worst version of Stoops and I like to your point, it's like Stoops is we've talked about it a lot. I know, but Stoops came in as an air raid guy. He's changed philosophies a lot. Like I think now that's kind of the way it has to be based on more like personnel than personal choice. But I don't really care what Stoops has going on. I feel like I'm gonna take him over Iowa, to be honest with you. Yeah, who's in the, who's in the better place right now? I'd probably still give that edge to Kentucky, but 
Um, I, if, if, if we, if we all of a sudden get like a 35, 31 game, that would be the ultimate bowl games are random. Stop assuming logic wins out, which I know I'm guilty of big time. But if, if we actually get a shootout, how incredible that would be to watch these two offenses flourish. And by the way, I'm considering a shootout, both teams getting into the twenties. That would qualify. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, and that's the thing too. Like both of these teams just gotta hand it to them. Have had great defenses all year. Like let's be honest about what these teams' strengths have been. So like, yeah, that would be the most chaotic. Like that would be something I bring up ten years from now. I'm like, well, I remember that one time I were Kentucky with a shootout. So you just never know what's gonna happen in the bowl yeah. game. But no, I, I think this is gonna be a rock fight. The Kentucky wins. I think that Mark Stoop is so equipped to win these rock fights. And that's the thing about Iowa. It's like it's not like they really even win these games. They're just kind of in them. <laughs> just kind of in them. Kind of hang around a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, any given Saturday. This would be a big game for that if both these teams get into the 20s. The bowl that is formerly known as the Outback Bowl, rest in peace, uh, the Relia Quest Bowl. We could just pretend it's not called that and call it the Outback Bowl. That's what I do with the Staples Center. And I'm right. Yeah, let's, because they- let's do that, Will. Let's do that. That that felt weird. That felt gross. I'm going to be there writing. I, I will just, instead of writing Relia Quest Bowl, I will write Outback Bowl. For, for everything, I'm probably going to get corrected by, by my editor, Chris Wright, but I will right. try to sneak That's in. That's how you hold out for the bag, because who's going to make you change it? Rely a quest. And then you'd be like, you know what, man? Got You know what you got for me? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You can't stop me from saying world's largest outdoor cocktail party. You, st- you can't stop me from saying Outback Bowl. So we're just going to keep on exactly. saying it. Mississippi State's a one-point favorite against Illinois. The over-under I have is six references to Pirates. That's right. If you're not mm-hmm. a leech person, this is not going to be the game for you, because... He's going to dominate the conversation as he should. I initially thought there was no way Mississippi State was going to play in this game, which was just kind of rooted in my belief that the last couple of years we've seen teams wiggle out of bowl games. I think a lot of that has been COVID related. I think a lot of it has been uh, some you know sickness and transfer portal type things uh, that we've seen play out. But then you kind of see the comments that came out from Mississippi State players and you're reminded, oh yeah, not only are they playing in this game, they're not going to lose it. Okay. They're not. I already teased my pick. So I don't feel guilty about saying that at the top of talking about this game. They're not losing this game. I, I'm imagining Will Rogers is just going to run the offense. No Ra Ra Thomas. Love that addition for Georgia, by the way. Oh. Really promising to be able to think what he can do in the Todd Munkin offense. But you'd think that this is going to be still a really unique matchup for a Big Ten West team who built its identity in the trenches with Chase Brown, the star running back for Illinois, who, oh, by the way, isn't playing in this football game. And even if he was, we saw a really impressive showing from Zach Arnett's defense on the road in the rain against Quinchon Judkins in the Egg Bowl. So I'm still optimistic on what Mississippi State is doing. Bowl momentum isn't real, but I do think that an experienced group will be, as I always say with Mississippi State, flying all over the place against a very one-dimensional Illinois offense. Jet Johnson, Tyrus Wheat, they might combine for 30 tackles. There's a lot on the plate for Zach Garnett here. I realize that, but... The good news is that you've got a few weeks to be able to prepare for this. If this happened in mid-October or something like that, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, hey, you're going to be the head coach now. I'd be crapping my pants. I'm sure he would have a couple of moments in which, yeah, he'd look down and see some things running down his legs. Sorry for the gross imagery on that, but you get what I'm saying. This isn't that, though. And he gets a little bit of extra time to be able to prepare for this. Mississippi State's not losing this football game. They're not, okay? I'm telling you right now, they're they're going to win. They're going to cover I'm very excited to be there. Go figure. This is going to be my second time covering an Illinois game at Raymond James Stadium. 
Weird. Yeah, very, very weird. Last time I was there, 2017, did a Quentin Flower story, USF quarterback. I think we talked about that before, Will. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, anyway, I watched Illinois get its teeth kicked in that day, and I kind of expect more of the same from Mississippi State, a very motivated, inspired Mississippi State squad. You're not picking Illinois to win this game, are you? No, no, no. I yeah, I'm just this is just just a lads matchup, man. We love our nets so much. And I mean, we love what Bird has done up there. Like that's just such a perfect place for him. I was what was it an eight overtime game he had last year? Yeah, um, Penn State. Yeah. Yep. He he just I've enjoyed watching him whenever I've watched him. Even if I'm trying to watch a UCF game and I have to watch him for an extra 45 minutes, it has been every single time that I've I've watched him. It's been so cool. So like that's so great because like he's a guy that just kind of gets the vibes. You know what I'm saying? Like he, he's not gonna because like to your point, it's like this game is ultimately like this is the cool thing about bowl games it's not a playoff it's not like okay like this game can in a way be a tribute to leech and the things he's done yeah. and i think that and like i said i think bread is just kind of with it like i think he gets it he gets the culture of everything which is really good um and it's just gonna be really interesting to see you know what this team is and what they will be i mean arnett is fundamentally a defensive guy you know what i'm saying and then obviously he's very aware of their rate i'm sure that's probably his the scheme he's seen the most at this point and so and and rogers obviously had that heartfelt tweet we talked about where he's talking about you know you believed in me we've seen so many mississippi state players talk about you know mike leach believed in me when few people did and those are the guys that are leading this team right now so it's cool to see um so yeah i really do think that you know what i'm saying um, it's going to be a really, it's going to be one of the more compelling bowl games. Lines one. Um, so like, that's surprising. Just, Very surprising. If you don't care about any of that, like if you're not even, if you just like, if you put this on with, you know, your family and they're like, they don't know anything about Mike Leach, probably just going to be a good game. You know what I'm saying? Cause to your point, um, it's like they, they have chase Brown. Like they, they, or they, they, sorry, the whole team was chase Brown, not whole team, but like their offensive identity was like, so freaking good this year and he's not playing. And so it's one of those things where it's like, well, uh, I love to see these matchups where it's like this, this, like these two different philosophies, like run into each other. So this is just going to be, like I said, one of the games of the year, if not the game of the year. And it would be shocking to me. I mean, I could see, you know, Mississippi state winning like a blowout or something, but like, I just, you know, you, you know, sometimes you just get the juice. Um, and they obviously have gone through a lot, but I think this is going to be a wire to wire game, which is going to be really cool. Usually the Outback Bowl and Citrus Bowl are my favorite hangover games. Um, <laughs> If you're if you're nursing that, I, 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 I imagine many people listening to this have had that New Year's Day realization of, oh gosh, what hit me? And waking up the next day and be like, oh hey, there's football on at noon. Mm-hmm. This is this is sweet. This is exactly the way that we draw it up. Weird that these games will not be played on New Year's Day. They'll be January second instead. Didn't want to go mm-hmm. up against the big bad NFL, but still, I think we can count them as hungover as as hangover games both of them as well because and that was the beauty of the outback game is it was incredible product placement because you'd be sitting there like dang i am hungry blooming onion sounds really good right now doesn't it (laughs) yeah so good all right citrus bowl lsu 14 and a half point favorites against purdue the overrunner i have eight close-ups of drew Brees. will how much is too much drew Brees? i'm asking for the espn camera crews uh, I mean, I guess we're just in like such a unique position, right? Because if it was any team but like LSU, who are like all Saints fans, it's like they would be like, "Get this guy!" I'm like, I don't care about him, but I'm just like, "Hi, Drew. Good to see you again, buddy. You look good." Like, I don't care. I can't see too much Drew Brees. Interim analyst is a title that I hope to add to my resume, and if Joe <laughs> Moorhead gets enough pull, I'm going to be sending him my application for that. Okay, mm-hmm. just sharing that out there. Um, hopefully, going to wheel that one into existence. My analysts analysis not analyst i think purdue with an interim coaching staff with brian brahm running the show no aiden o'connell no chris jones they're without their stud tight end they're without their top corner for purdue opt-outs my analysis is that that's going to be a problem 
that's to be expected when you lose your coaching staff early opt-outs. Okay. That's, that's mm-hmm. the new reality. And that's why these bowl games for these teams that lose coaches can often look like they have spiraled. And if they're not playing for, you know, a coach who's like an in-house promotion or something like that, that can be really, really difficult. LSU on the other hand gets Jaden Daniels playing in this one after he announced that he's coming back for another year. Also back for another year is Kayshawn Booty. What a great way this would be for him to move past a weird year. Torch and under and, and probably what's going to be an overwhelmed secondary. Remind people why you're getting that uh, that All America love. At least coming into the season, the season he was. Um, show how far the Jaden Daniels, Kayshawn Booty connection has come since that Florida State mess. This would be a nice full circle game for them. Would be a nice full circle game for Brian Kelly. You know, mm-hmm. close the year much better than it started. Probably helps Brian Kelly's chances of doing that, that he has, oh, a guy by the name of Harold Perkins who is probably going to harass a backup quarterback and make a lot of people realize, oh, we don't really have one of these in the Big Ten right now, especially not in the Big Ten West. I'm taking LSU to win big. Taking LSU to win 35-17. The only uh, analysis, again, keyword of this segment, that I could possibly come up with to give you a reason why Purdue wins this one is simply bowl games are weird. And maybe this is weird and LSU has been a weird team all year. So I guess we shouldn't be totally stunned if they just lay an egg and lose a game that they should obviously win, even though it's one of the most lopsided bowls with all the opt-outs Purdue has. But yeah, this one feels like it should be a slam dunk for LSU. I want to just get ahead of it and say it would be just such a funny and possible outcome for Brian Kelly to somehow blow this game because it's exactly how he felt with Texas <laughs> I just want to be honest here. Yeah. I want to learn from my mistakes in life, and I just know that Brian – one thing about Brian Kelly is he will give you 60 minutes of entertainment. You bought, you bought that ticket to watch Brian Kelly. You're watching the starters that whole way, buddy. And so I will say this, though. You know, you talk about, like, all these oh, – that's why I love bowl games. It's a completion to a story. With LSU, you know what I'm saying? They were in this exact situation last year at Kansas State. They were starting a receiver, quarterback. They were like – had you know all these 37 scholarship guys people were like you know gassed on the sidelines because they didn't have anybody because to your point guys were opting out guys were transferring um so it's just you know hate to see this at any college football team but if anything LSU if anyone deserves this probably LSU because they had to deal with it last year um and yeah to your point I mean how about Keishon Booty man I mean that's a guy that I mean objectively man if he had done what Jamar Chase did and just sat out for a year pretty easily a first round pick I feel probably yeah yeah and and the fact that like it's weird because it's one of those like after week one, it was like, he has to learn this lesson. It's like, well, if he had opted out, he never would have learned that lesson. He would just go to the NFL. And so you got to give him credit for learning the lesson. You know what I'm saying? He opted in. He didn't transfer. He didn't because like he never would have been labeled any type of like a locker room problem if he had just gone to the NFL and trained. You know what I'm saying? But after week one, it was like, well, now you got to combat this. You got to, you know, talk about how you're coachable. You got to do all this. And now he's coming back. It's one of the strangest, not strangest, one of the most shocking. It's not strange. It's shocking. And it's cool to see. You know, this guy, and I hate to just keep taking victory laps about this. I'm sure my day will come where I'll look stupid. Maybe it's after this game. But, you know, the <laughs> fact that everybody was saying, you know, oh, Brian Kelly, like, isn't the cultural fit? Da, da, da. And after that game, it was, oh, Booty deleted everything off Instagram. Like, he's not going to, like, be with the team. He's not a good uh, – Brian Kelly can't reach these young kids, can't reach these Southern kids. Da, da, da. And the fact that Booty is coming back and, and like, you know – Say what you will about Booty, that guy's an NFL player. You know what I'm saying? Broke the SC record uh, for receiving yards as a freshman against Ole Miss. Like, he's, I've seen him do crazy, crazy things at LSU. And the fact that he could go to the NFL draft and make a living there, probably a little bit of NIL opportunities, which we love to see uh, for oh, LSU. For sure. But, 
it's just crazy, man, because Jaden's in the exact same situation. Jaden could do what Anthony Richardson is doing and be like, you know what, probably not an NFL quarterback, but I'll let somebody make that choice. And so, yeah. like, point being, he could go, you know, middle of, and, and, and Richardson obviously would go higher than him right now. I get it, but not sure why. So, point being, like, I think that, like, Jaden Jaden and Booty are, like, such examples of, like, hey, these are guys that, like, initially it's like, ah, I don't know how this is going to fit. I don't know how this is going to work. And now at the end of the year, it's like, can you kind of close the book on this season? And it's like, they both want to be here. They both want to be back. They both had options to leave, to go to the NFL, to go to another team, to do all this stuff. And they all ended up back here. So I think it's super cool. And obviously LSU is missing a couple guys in the D line. You know, with LSU, you're always going to be missing a couple guys in the draft. But um, yeah, it's just it's so it's so poetic. Right? You see Drew Brees there, um, which is, you know, the end of an era of football, obviously watching Drew Brees. And now it's the beginning of this other era with Brian Kelly, where it's like, you know, Saints are going to be good for a long time. <laughs> so this is kind of what we got, Louisiana. <laughs> so we got to make it count. You can't ask for much more if you're LSU. Uh, that's yep. what this comes down to. I mean, this is, a, this is an opportunity that was kind of teed up for you. The Jeff Brom decision to go to Louisville. This is what you could have hoped for after running into the juggernaut that was Georgia in the SEC championship and getting mm-hmm. a matchup like this. One would think that bodes really well, and there should be an opportunity for Jaden Daniels and Keishon Booty to both have big days and close their season on a much higher note than what it started. Hoping Peaceful. for less than about eight rushing attempts for Jaden. Hopefully yeah. Jaden can just Hopefully. put some bubble wrap on his knees, throw some nice pretty passes, be waving at the crowd in the fourth quarter. That's what we're hoping for. No yeah. two-point conversions, Brian Kelly. I don't need that. Definitely don't need a two-point. Shouldn't need a two-point conversion to be able to survive in this game. Right. The Peach Bowl. Georgia, six-and-a-half-point favorite against Ohio State. The over-under I have is actually kind of a legit over-under. 25 Ohio State points. Simple enough. Right? Well, why did I pick 25 points? Huh? Why didn't I bring that up? Last why time, Connor. Last time that Georgia allowed 25 points in consecutive games was the end of the 2018 season when Georgia had SEC championship collapse and then the bowl game against Texas. Mm-hmm. Kirby Smart never has consecutive duds, defensively speaking. Okay. <laughs> Does not happen. He didn't do it at Bama. He hasn't done it at Georgia. At Bama, he only had two instances of consecutive games with 23 points allowed, which included bowl games in which national championship hopes were off the table. At Georgia, those instances have been few and far between. Kirby was clearly disappointed with the mistakes made against LSU. If you saw some of the comments afterwards, it's like, yeah, this is unacceptable. Said that they were going back to camp-style practices with tackling and conditioning. I don't know how many playoff-bound teams do that, but that felt very atypical to kind of hear a coach that critical, especially after just clinching a 13-0 start, the first ever in Georgia history. But I say that because there's an assumption that Ohio State's passing game will just pick up where LSU left off. And if there's that assumption, I think that's a little bit ambitious. 81 games in the Kirby Smart era. Think about how much this team has been leading, okay? How much teams have trailed against Georgia. They've been in obvious passing situations. The only guys who have 300-yard passing games against Georgia, okay? 2019 Joe Burrow, 2020 Mac Jones, 2020 Kyle Trask, 2020 Will Rogers, who threw the ball 52 times for six yards per attempt, and then 2021 Bryce Young. Stroud is that's a pretty good list. list. (laughs) Stroud's probably good enough to join that list. He is. I'll I'll say that even as somebody who's kind of poo-pooed his Heisman credentials. He's still, though, a guy who has shown to be flustered throwing off platform. And if you push that line of scrimmage back, which, hmm, who does Georgia have to push the line of scrimmage? Jalen Carter is, is capable of pushing the line of scrimmage back. If you like do Godzilla, that against Stroud, like you say his name, 
Yeah. He's there. He's coming. And, and he will hold, you know, it's just just like Jaden Daniels, holding him with one arm, holding up the number one and the other. He will look like Godzilla maybe at a couple of different points in this game. Mm-hmm. I think Stroud could be in trouble. I really do. I really do. I think that he is great when you give him protection and his first or his second read is there. He, he can actually, you know what? I shouldn't just say it's his first or second read because it's more about if he gets time and he can work through, you know, third, fourth, he will do that. And you trust that Brian Hartline's group of receivers will be able to get open. And you trust that Ryan Day's scheme will be able to work well enough to where CJ Stroud can get some of these opportunities to step into some impressive throws or alternatively throw into big windows. Georgia doesn't allow a whole lot of that. Okay, they don't. You can look at the sack numbers and tell me that they're down. What do they have, like 26 sacks this year? That doesn't mean pressure is down. And just because sack numbers are down doesn't mean that all of a sudden you're going to get these big throwing windows and, oh, they're only going to, you know, they're going to, they really don't successfully blitz or do things like that. Stroud's kind of struggled against the blitz. If you've watched him this year, I think that this, this matchup bodes well for Georgia to bounce back with four weeks to prepare. Four weeks. I just can't imagine Georgia's secondary struggling like it did against LSU. I can't. Malachi Starks had a rough day. He had a rough day. True freshman who made a couple of critical mistakes. And Kirby called him out for it afterwards and said, look, you know, we had a guy trying to make a play when he didn't necessarily have that over-the-top help. You know, I I thought Malik Neighbors, who got him both times, by the way, I thought he made a really nice play on that ball where they – it was like a – 60 yard pass from Nussmeyer or whatever that was. And he makes a really nice play at the last minute and neighbors kind of gets the better of both Starks and Keely Ringo in that spot. I think that's fixable. We've seen enough of Malachi Starks to think this cat's pretty good. Okay. He doesn't just show up against these stud receivers and get torched. He was excellent against Tennessee. They have shown that they can play press man coverage against teams that have really good receivers. It's not a foregone conclusion that just because you have really good receivers, you're going to be able to take advantage of Georgia's style. And I know we talked about that a lot with Bama and how that impacted them with Jameson Williams going down in the national championship, not necessarily having John, John Mechie in the national championship. I get all of that. I really do. But don't you think if this were a more significant weakness, we've seen more teams that are able to actually exploit that against Georgia? Because they really don't, okay? <laughs> All those passing situations that they're in, and they just don't necessarily get beat. Maybe I'd feel a little bit differently if Jackson Smith and Jigbo was going to be playing in this one. <laughs> Travion Henderson, their stud tailback, isn't playing in this one. So they're, not, they're talking about like, oh, yeah, we're getting guys healthy at the right time. I'm still looking at those two guys not playing football and saying, that's not getting healthier at the right time, Ohio State, Okay. I don't think that that is the case. And against this defense, you got to have everybody, man. Well, at least you got to have Garrett Nussmeyer. <laughs> That's the most important thing. You got Garrett Nussmeyer and a good group of receivers. Enjoy. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, watching that game, like that was one of those situations that I always talk about where it's like both teams kind of can like do the handshake and say like, hey, we we played well today. We did what we needed to do. Like obviously LSU was never going to beat Georgia. And like I like caught a lot of heat for that for whatever reason. It's like I know a lot of Georgia fans just listen to Georgia podcasts and where they are just like, oh, this game was over in the first quarter. But what I said and what you would agree with is that that is disrespectful to Kirby Smart. I said it at the time and that it was a dream to happen before this game. <laughs> because if you get yeah. exposed by Garrett Nussmeyer, 
what's he really going to do to you? <laughs> we saw it. That was the best he could do to you. <laughs> it was a, he got to the fourth and one, handed the, running, handed the ball over to the running back. He fell down. That was the end of the game. Yep. Whereas if you let that happen to C.J. Stroud, you know what I'm saying? C.J. Stroud, if he had the windows and the ability that Dustmeyer did, or even, I mean, Jaden was kind of up and down, but, I mean, they combined for like almost 500 passing yards. So neither of them got to 300, but they kind of each played a half. And so point being, those are two very different style of quarterbacks. And so what that says to me, that is an undisciplined defense or undisciplined DBs. And what I said was that was the best case scenario, because if this game is what we thought it was, which is a 35, 17 snoozer for, for Georgia, where it's like, Oh, defense dominated. Then they see Ohio state the next year and like, or the next game. And it's like, not to be disrespectful to LSU, but it's just like, that's a completely different style, like level of talent. Like this is again, an LSU team with 37 scholarships. Like when you have these, receivers that are like already spending their nfl checks <laughs> they're just like you know what i i've my whole life like stroud like these guys like their whole offense is just like we have a, a state planner and we're 21 years old like we we're ready to go and so point being like that's not your no it's Meyer. like it's better to have that game come against lsu and to have i mean the two a days thing is hilarious right i mean that's exactly what they need though and that's why i always love college football more than the nfl because you can never do that in the nfl at 13 and 0 but they need to they need to do the whole like all right let's come back down to earth let's figure this out because these guys i mean that's the dream right because you have you have the build-up to the tennessee game which was at home and this game is in atlanta correct this game obviously in atlanta will be there on saturday yes sir right exactly just making sure so just so so point being it's like this is, I, i'm gonna like i said georgia fans you need to call this a home game this is your home this is it you live here now ohio state fans are calling it a home game too for georgia i mean they good are. for them bro but like what okay what are they gonna do they're, they're, they're last time they got into a position where they could beat an sec team they won like eight games in the regular season because of covid so good for them but like point being they lost to michigan get out of here anyways <laughs> i just those guys get so bold about stuff that does not matter it's like bro I've seen more LSU championships than you have Ohio State championships. I don't understand this. You guys play these big games and lose them every year. Congratulations. And so that's where I'm at with Georgia. It's like, I want them to beat Ohio State. And I think that that was exactly the kind of tune-up they needed. And I think you're exactly on the money with that, where it's like, those DBs are going to come out the way they did against Tennessee. And Tennessee is the only team in college football, I think, that is similar receiver to, receivers to Ohio State, especially not one of Ohio State's arguably their best, and uh, Smith and Jibga is not playing. So it's like, yeah, I, I want to see shut down Georgia defense. I, I want to see Georgia dominate Ohio State because I want there to be no question in my opinion of you know because like the, the Big Ten has had this weird little you guys have all seen it I don't care if you're a South Carolina fan you're annoyed by this you know exactly what I'm talking about there are these dudes who wrote for Iowa and they're just like let me read you some stats about the Big Ten and it's like all right bro no that happens to the SEC too <laughs> that happens to the SEC too you know no no, no I know but one of them is accurate I'm not being mean but like we finally yeah have one of them has more credentials than others right yeah, it's sure. like we have it's been Ohio State and everybody else and now Ohio State has found a way to lose to Michigan twice in a row so now we got to pretend like Michigan is this other powerhouse despite that they've lost to Georgia and that's it and so like point being I'm just I'm over it I I really want uh, this is my one SEC homer take where it's like if you guys had to wreck my team to well represent this conference and not let these people add ucla and think that they're as good as the sec i'm with it let's do it bro <laughs> when was the last time an sec team lost a semi-final game oh man a semi-final game uh, has that happened once 2014 bam oh, lost to ohio state yep they, yeah, yeah. defense and coordinator the, kirby the smart Obama administration when ohio state won their playoff game yeah that we 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 don't cite recent presidency because we don't <laughs> want to feel old. Well, remember, it's gotta be it's gotta be at least like I don't even I'll do Reagan. All right, we can get to Reagan, but eh, even Bill Clinton, I'm kind of like ah, I remember that pretty well. You know, like we don't, yeah, don't want to do that nice. just yet. Okay, um, that that is the the thing that I think so many people who cry foul about SEC bias have overlooked. Mm -hmm. 
the fact that the SEC is 12 and three in playoff games that aren't against each other, Mm -hmm. the fact that they have gotten to these semifinal games and just taken so many teams to the woodshed Mm -hmm. has poured so much cold water on this flaming hot take that the SEC is just overrated. It's just bam on everybody else. Like, all right, then let's see it, man. Like, let's let's see it. If you're ever gonna, if you're ever gonna finally change that narrative or begin to at least have some sort of evidence besides random bowl game results in which you're saying, oh, an eight and four bowl record shows that it was better than the SEC at seven and five this year. It's like, no, that's really not how you value conference strength. Because if this were a head-to-head thing and we could make the argument that every SEC team was playing every Big Ten team, that's not the case. And if there are people that are still of the belief that the SEC just gets too much love, they get too much love all the time. This is your moment. This is your moment. This is your Georgia team to go out and beat. Then there will be people who finally say, oh, wow. Because that's what they were saying after 2014. You know what they haven't said since 2014? Oh, wow. There's a conference that looks like it could really go toe for toe. I have talked about this at length. Because I am not here if Ohio State doesn't win that football game against Alabama and go on to win a national championship. And my former boss say, hey, we need a Big Ten site because there's actually a chance that the Big Ten might go blow for blow with the SEC in the playoff era. That's how different things were eight years ago. And I'm so glad change. you brought that up because I was not going to do that to you. But that is, look at you now, co-hosting an SEC podcast. That's how the following eight years have gone. But I mean, like, think about know, that. Maybe that did not happen, actually. Maybe we should put our resources back over here. It hasn't happened. It hasn't happened. And I'd be darn impressed if Ohio State showed up and even made this a 60-minute game. I truly would. I think that would be a great testament to this team, to what Ryan Day is trying to build, to trying to move past the embarrassment of Michigan and losing to them in consecutive years. I would applaud Ohio State if they made this a 60-minute football game, but I just don't think they will. And I've seen this movie before, and I've seen this movie in Atlanta, and I've seen this Georgia team with extra time to prepare, and they're darn tough to put away. They will be. They absolutely will be. And I think Kirby Smart has them ready to go. I think that they are able to pull off what they said Oh, can we do this without losing a game? Can this be our get right game, so to speak, in the way that it was last year in the SEC championship? Can we just simply use the fact that we were torched by LSU and two different starting quarterbacks as our, oh, this is what we need to fix back to basics moment? I think they can. I think they can. I think Georgia wins 38-21. What do you think? I'm 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 right there with you, man. This is like I said, I very rarely put on the homer hat. I like to make fun of these teams, but with the SEC, it's kind of like siblings, right? It's like, well, we're giving each other crap. But whenever you have a team that legitimately like Ohio State legitimately thinks they belong in these conversations, where it's like, oh, we're a dynasty. We're no, bro. Like <laughs> LSU, and like I said, a lot of people put a lot of stock into that 2020 season. If you guys think Kyle Trask and all that was real, that's fine. Uh, not me. All right, but before that season, they were LSU good. Had to... They were fun to watch offensively. They were. I'll defend that as somebody who enjoyed watching that team. No, they were fun to watch because nobody played defense because like, they were keeping six feet of separation. That's fine. But what I'm saying that's is. Fair. <laughs> But what I'm saying is, you know, LSU had one playoff appearance. And before 2020, they had the same amount of playoff wins as Ohio State. That's all I'm saying. These boys show up every year and convince themselves with some hope again that they're going to beat Alabama. They're going to beat, you know, all these like big teams. And they find a way to lose to Clemson. They find a way to lose to any team from South of the Mason-Dixon line. So at the end of the day, and it's not that. It's really, truly not that. It's that believe in Georgia. And you made exactly the point, bro. It's that Georgia used to learn lessons and losses. And now they learn lessons and wins. They used to have to lose to Alabama. They used to have to lose to South Carolina. They used to have to lose to all these teams. Now it's like, huh, we can give up.
up, you know, 500 bajillion yards of offense and beat LSU by 20. Yep. <laughs> it's like, and that's like where I'm coming from. It's like, you know, what do you, this Georgia team isn't elite, elite, you know, any one thing, but they're very, very good at like everything. And it comes to the Stroud thing with Stetson Bennett. You're talking about, oh, Stetson Bennett has a way better passer rating against good teams than Stroud does. It's like, yep. well, that bears itself out. He's played way more good teams. Like you've seen him, you've seen him with your eyes go destroy Oregon, who beat Stroud last year. <laughs> in columbus like literally yeah. it's like we've seen these things happen over it's like okay man maybe this will be the time maybe it will but even if georgia loses it's like oh no how many ones do they have in a row well i guess they lost the championship 31 game, to so. 32 31 to 32 there you go yeah. yeah but yeah it's like all right bro you know what i'm saying it's like it's i feel like there's been this very long con that's been playing itself out since that 2014 game and like the fact that they got two teams in despite each of them having one game is so funny to me because at the end of the day it's like georgia had to beat Oregon, Tennessee, LSU. I'm not going to say they got lucky that they didn't have to play Bama, but it, they didn't need to play Bama this year. They truly didn't because I know they're better than Bama this year. And they need to play like another top five team. So point being, I just I watch it all year and then I get to the postseason. I'm just like, OK, you guys are taking crazy pills. So this is where I'm at. I'm, I, I, I am fully like on board that not because I'm a hater. I am a hater. I'm not discounting that, but not because I have a hater. I, I do love what George is doing right now. I, I don't think that Kirby is going to let this team run on them. And if he does, that's like, fire some dudes situation based on how he feels about life. Yeah. I, I think Georgia has the adjustments to make. I don't think Ohio state has the adjustments to make. It's, it's as simple as that. I don't think mm-hmm. that they quite have that gear. I've questioned whether or not they can tap into 2017 Bama. That will be the comp that I make. I will totally play the results. If, <laughs> if Ohio state is able to pull off this upset, it is a significant upset yeah. and I will be, I will be surprised if that happens. I absolutely would be, but I still think that it's George's game to win, and I think they will win it convincingly. Okay, before we kick it to Gary, quick word from our friends at Underdog. Everybody knows, if you listen to this podcast, sports betting, not legal in states like Georgia, Alabama, Florida, South Carolina, et cetera, most of the SEC states. I want to talk to you about our friends over at Underdog Fantasy. You might have tried Daily Fantasy in the past, but Underdog is a new platform that's extremely popular right now. And they have some awesome college football contests where you can compete for real money. It's a great way to scratch that sports betting itch. We have an exclusive arrangement with Underdog. If you go to SaturdayDownSouth.com slash Underdog, you can automatically double your deposit when you join. Sign up, throw in 50 bucks. They'll throw in 50 more dollars. It's a great way to get some money to play on these contests. So what does it look like for college football? Every week, or I guess during, during bowl season, every single game, you can go on to underdog and you can be like, hey, Stetson Bennett, over-under, 200 passing yards. It's just like the props that we talk about when we do our over-unders with all of our preview pods. You can put real money on the line. Yes, this is legal and live in states like Alabama, Georgia, Florida, Texas, etc. So I've got some picks for some Sunday NFL action. Uh, we're going with Josh Jacobs over 88 and a half rushing yards against the Raiders. No, he's not against the Raiders. He plays for the Raiders. I don't know who he's against. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know who he's playing against. I don't care. Josh Jacobs has been awesome this year. Uh, and Garrett Wilson will continue with the anti-Ohio State notion right now that we're on. Uh, I'm going to go with under 66 <laughs> and a half receiving yards against the Seahawks. Mike White slinging it, but mm, that seems a little bit high after watching how frustrating it was for Garrett Wilson to play alongside Zach Wilson. Could never be me to say that Zach Wilson is better than Justin Fields. Would be a real shame if there were actually people who thought that a short two years ago. Mm-hmm. Couldn't be me. Um, hey, we we hit on that uh, Mike Evans under the, that team looked bad. They were playing yeah. 
one of my high school buddies at quarterback. <laughs> Are you hating on Trace McSorley right I now? I love Trace McSorley. Throw it on a dime. Like you didn't even try. Joe Moorhead product. You better no. keep his name out your mouth. For sure. If they had Joe Moorhead, they would have won that game. Let's be Probably. real here. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Underdog is awesome. Super fun to do while you're watching college football or any other sport in your living room, and you can win some real money. Go to SaturdayDownSouth.com slash underdog and take advantage of our promo where underdog will double your first deposit up to $100. $100 absolutely free. SaturdayDownSouth.com slash underdog. All right, let's kick it to Gary. Now excited to be joined by a very special guest. It is our guy, Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl CEO, Gary Stoke. And Gary, uh, I don't know what you did to earn yet another game in which Georgia is one of your two teams, but I think it's safe to say the college football gods are on your side. Yeah. Someone asked me last night, what are my other two wishes? <laughs> After getting Georgia, Ohio State. You got two more wishes. What are they? So, yeah, we're blessed to have, you know, obviously two of the top five brands in college football and number one against number four. Again, this is our third time in hosting the semifinals of the CFB. And each time we've had number one, Alabama in 16, LSU in 19, and now Georgia in 22. So it's going to be a great, uh, great matchup. Obviously, styles make fights and have number one, uh, our number two scoring offense against number two scoring defense um, and both teams, which are very complimentary in, uh, you know, all three phases of the game. It should, should make for a great matchup on New Year's Eve. This was your dream matchup, wasn't it? I mean, even if you could draw up anything from a kickoff matchup to being able to forecast these two teams in this game, the second that the 2019 game ended, you would have said, Hey, ideally, you know, Georgia, Ohio State, that would work out really well for us. Well, it's ironic. I talked to Gene Smith at the Wisconsin game, which was, uh, I think, Ohio State's second game of the year uh, when I went up there. And he said, you know, we've been in, in the Fiesta Bowl so many years. We need to get down to Atlanta this year. And I said, yep, from your lips to God's ears. And here we are to have uh, Georgia, Ohio State, which a lot of people, I think, preseason uh, thought this was going to be the national championship game. Yeah, that's fair. And I think that there are a lot of people who are kind of looking at this as a, a unique way for Ohio State to get tested. They have to get sent to Atlanta to face Georgia, who obviously has already played in, in Atlanta twice. You forecasted the possibility of there being three Georgia games in, you know, in Mercedes-Benz this year. And it's crazy that it's turned out that way. But of course, we could talk about all these things and then we realize sometimes life gets in the way and the, the week of travel and weather and all these things that we're going through, we were talking about it before we came on. What's the latest on uh, on players and, and coaches being able to to get to Atlanta? And do you forecast any potential issues with fans being able to get there, given all the, the flight cancellations? Yeah, you know, we've been blessed. Obviously, uh, both teams broke and uh, kids went home for Christmas and then they're able to come back either through the charter at school or, you know, on their own. And so uh, we had some delays uh, from people coming from Hawaii and L.A. through Utah, uh, but they all got here. Um, so everybody's full force. Everybody's healthy. Um, so, yeah, it's it's um, you know, it's interesting. I, I talked to Ohio State. Uh, Let's see, it would have been uh, Christmas night, Christmas night. And I told him, I said, you know, it's interesting. In 2017, uh, Alabama played Florida State right here in Atlanta. Alabama won, did not win the SEC championship that year, 
and got into the playoff because they beat Florida State and won the national championship. I said, fast forward to 2021-22 season or 2021 season, Georgia plays Clemson first game, beats Clemson, goes on, does not win the SEC championship, loses to Alabama, comes back and wins the national championship. So to Ohio State, I basically said, you know, there's a path over the last four or five years of teams that have done that. So, um, you know, and, and thank God, for Gene Smith and Ryan Day scheduling Notre Dame in your first game because that helped you get in at number four. So, and it goes back related to our earlier uh, interview this year in September, how those kickoff games are so meaningful uh, because they become a major data point for the CFP selection committee because at the end of the day, you don't schedule your conference games. The conference does that for you. All you as an AD and a coach control are those three or four non-conference games. And, and if you don't schedule, you know, someone really good, you have a chance, you know, if Michigan loses to Ohio State with their non-conference, I'm not sure they get in, right? So, you know, it just goes to prove how Alabama against Florida State, you know, Ohio State against Notre Dame, Clemson against Georgia, all three of those big first-round neutral games really mattered at the end of the day. I do want to talk about the future of of neutral site games. I always love being able to kind of circle back with you and, and discuss it with with current context. Uh, but but as it relates to to this game, I, I think it's going to be a little bit difficult to see whether or not Ohio State has legit representation based on just colors alone. You're not going to get like what we saw in the SEC championship, of course, with with being able to to see the clear difference between LSU fans and Georgia fans. Obviously, both teams were in red. What do you expect the, the representation from Ohio State fans to look like? Has has that support been stronger maybe than than others that you've seen? Because it's obviously a little bit different than that what we were talking about, you know, even a few years ago, where in LSU, you know, it's still not exactly easy to get to Atlanta. It's closer for them, but you know, different different circumstances with LSU and Oklahoma compared to what we're looking at with Georgia being an in-state team, obviously. Yeah, Ryan asked Ryan Day asked me that the other day at practice, uh, what I think the split's going to be, and I told him, you know, number one, both teams get thirteen thousand tickets. Georgia sold theirs out in one day. Ohio State sold them out in two days. There's a huge Ohio State contingent in Metro Atlanta and in the Southeast and hadn't done this for 25 years. I've been to games where I've seen Ohio State travel. So I know that they're going to have a large contingent here. Obviously, we sell our tickets out in July and probably a lot of those people are Georgia fans or, you know, their their relatives or somebody in their family is a Georgia fan. So, you know, probably a lot of them went to that them, but there's, there's a lot of tickets on secondary market. And so who gets to the secondary market and who's willing to pay the price? You know, I think it'll probably be a 70-30 split, um, something like that. But I know Ohio State people will show up. Um, the record-breaking stats for this one, I, I imagine you, you have those in mind, the figures that would be great to be able to hit from a sponsorship standpoint, from a viewership standpoint, because – 
semifinal games have shown like they, they really haven't necessarily been these down to the wire great games. And obviously that's out of your control. You can't control what happens on the field, but those things around them in terms of, you know, everything going into it with those, with the, you know, those elements, how do you feel like this is setting up for that? Do you feel like this is going to be a record setting year for, for viewership for for sponsorship? And it's going to be something that you kind of have in the back of your mind on Saturday. That's a great point, Connor. You know, we, when we look at viewership, to have the 8 o'clock primetime game, number one. Number two, now that Nielsen can look at out-of-household ratings, um, you know, for for parties that are going on for New Year's Eve or whatever, they can get ratings for those. I think that'll help us. Having these two big brands obviously helps us. So, um you know, not to predict, but uh, we did, I think, 19 and a half million viewers for LSU Oklahoma. And that was pretty much a blowout game. So, um, you know, hopefully we're, we're getting a club. That's when people ask me, who are you rooting for? Who do you think is going to win? I say, I don't know. I got to remain neutral. All I'm hoping for is a four overtime game. And we're seeing an old Lang Syne in the third quarter or fourth quarter. That's the dream. That's that's what I always say all the time. Just give me give me entertainment and obviously what if especially having the number one team. When people see the number one team potentially on the ropes or something like that, that's when those viewership numbers go go way up. And obviously that would be to your benefit. Um, we've talked about Ohio State. You were talking about seeing Gene Smith week two. Uh, conversations about Ohio State playing in a kickoff game down the road. Have those happened yet? Yeah, I, I've talked to, you know, Gene, I've talked to Ward Manuel. You know, we've tried to get Big Ten. Um, uh, I talked to Sandy Barber at Penn State when she was there. It's really hard on the Big Ten because with a 5-4 break in their schedule with nine conference games, those years when you're the AD and you got five, you know, home games in your conference, you got three non-conference games left, you can play two and still have a game left. The problem is you schedule a, a neutral game. The next year you only have four, you know, conference games at home. you got to schedule all three non-conference back at your home site to make your budget. So, and even this year, Ohio State, I think they had eight home games this year, uh, which is unusual, and you don't want to do it because you you kind of spoil your, your home ticket base by giving them eight games, and then the next year you only give them seven. But um, So it's very hard on the Big Ten teams. Big 12, Pac-12, because they play nine conference games. You know, we've made our, our um, uh, you know, our, our real stance with uh, taking the old Peach Bowl matchup of ACC-SEC. And now that we're in the CFP and we don't get that, we move that kind of forward into our strategy to uh, do kickoff games. So more often than not, you know, you'll see ACC versus SEC because they only have eight conference games. And they can schedule three non-conference at home, make their budget, and they still got one game left to to uh, to do. So, you know, over the next uh, three years, we've got Georgia Tech, Louisville. We've got uh, in 24, we got a heck of a schedule. We got Georgia, Clemson to open the season. The end of that year, we'll have the quarterfinal game with either one, two, three, or four against the top 12 team. Uh, and then at the end of that season will host the national championship in Atlanta the first city to host it twice in the current contract uh, and then in 25 we'll host Virginia Tech South Carolina we'll host Tennessee Syracuse 
And then at the end of the year, another CFP semifinal game. So we really have some great matchups. You throw the SEC championship in there each year. And, you know, a lot of top 10 teams are going to be coming through Atlanta to play college football. Okay, but is it difficult to potentially have to navigate a nine-game conference schedule for the SEC? Because as long as you've been doing this, that hasn't been an issue. That's been a, a very popular topic of conversation. A lot of fans want to see the SEC, once Oklahoma and Texas are added, go to this nine-game format. How, how have you been able to kind of plan those steps? Because if those opportunities are few and far between for neutral site games like yourself, I got to imagine that that sell becomes that much more important. Yeah, it's you're right. It's it's going to become difficult if the SEC and ACC move to nine conference games, which I, I would hazard a guess that they probably would because of TV monies. Uh, then you know the inventory is really going to shrink because the SEC ACC also have those big rivalry games like Kentucky Louisville, Georgia Georgia Tech, Florida Florida State. Um, you know I'm probably missing South Carolina Clemson. Um, so, you know, you get to a point where as an AD, you're going to schedule nine conference games and you're going to schedule one tough game. And then the ACC on top of that, they've got five games a year with Notre Dame. So you can see the inventory shrinking uh, because even though you believe as an AD, if you lose a non-conference and you lose one in your conference, you can still get in the top 12 with two losses. Uh, unlike now, there's been no team in nine years that have gotten into the CFP playoffs with two losses. So, um, yeah, it's going to be more difficult for us. That's why we got out early scheduled through 25 through the end of this contract. And we'll just have to wait and see what, uh, the conferences do with, you know, adding another conference, uh, game to their schedule. How do you feel about the first round playoff games for that 12 team playoff being played on college campuses because you got to actually you probably feel like you're kind of you know fighting against the popular opinion here the consensus right now because i mean everyone like myself included we'd love to see these games on college campuses as many of them as possible i i think a lot of people right now are even advocating for semifinal games on college campuses that might be a little bit more difficult to to happen because of the logistics because of of, of people like yourself who have been in this for a long time and understand what goes into that. And, you know, obviously it has great advantages across the sport, but how, how, how exactly have you been able to, to kind of withstand some of that momentum that seems to be growing with the expanded playoff? Yeah, I can understand both sides and probably I can debate both sides um, uh, equally effective, but, you know, there's some unintended consequences both ways, you know, when you're going on campus and you've got, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, commencement ceremonies, graduations, um, and, and parents coming in, and you're a small market, let's say Clemson, where you don't have a lot of hotel rooms, that's a problem, right? And within a week, you're going to have to be able to turn around and, and schedule that. Well, these, these people have classes and, and everything else, so... You know, there, there's a lot of unintended consequences there. On the other side, I do worry about the bowls that aren't New Year's Six and that aren't ESPN bowls, that how the playoffs are going to affect them. Um, we're already seeing, obviously, a lot of opt-outs in games that aren't playoff games, semifinal games. Um, I think that's the next unintended consequence. So what's going to happen when a kid is given his first-round draft card from the NFL with a signing bonus of potentially $20 million 
is he going to play in a conference championship when he's already banged up, then playing a first round, then playing a quarter, then playing a semi, then playing a championship game? You know, that that's tough. Then you got fans. You got fans going to a conference championship game, then to a first round game away, then to a quarterfinal away, and then Christmas they got to pay for, and then a semifinal game. So we've got to be careful on ticket prices. Um, you know, at the end of the day, the CFP is going to make its money in, in TV with bringing on, you know, probably two or three other partners. I don't know what they'll do, but, um, you know, ESPN has been great for college football and I'm sure they'll, they'll stay involved, but uh, I'm sure they're going to want to look at bringing other partners in because it's going to be more revenue. Number one, number two, it's going to promote the game more, uh, throughout the season. So, uh, that'll just help grow the sport. Yeah, that's that's the, kind of the the thing that gets lost in the shuffle of the expanded playoff is all the different things that that are at play. And as you brought that up, I'm like, oh yeah, the graduation is going on, like during you know potentially during the college football playoff, and that's something that if you're a college campus, if you're hosting one of these games, you know, imagine a smaller town having to turn around and 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 put something on just like six days in advance and not knowing necessarily that that's going to be the case. But it, it's something that we'll obviously have to to navigate moving forward. Um, wait why not the peach bowl as a potential national championship site? Cause everybody's talking about the Rose bowl right now. I, I get that Rose bowl is not out here hosting national championships. Like Mercedes Benz has. I'm just saying if there's a place in which you could have a national championship, not have to worry about any sort of weather, not have to worry about the vast majority of the teams in it, you know, cross country trips or anything like that. Peach bowl. I mean, as, as have those discussions, um, began as we talk about the the twelve team playoff and what that could look like from a structured uh, structured venue standpoint. Well, Connor, I'm going to nominate you for the uh, commissioner of college football here when I get <laughs> off this phone. <laughs> um, you know, we we've talked internally the New Year's Six. We we as CEOs talk every two weeks uh, on a conference call about you know similar problems we're having or creative ideas or things we can help. Uh, you know, make the players, you know, a bigger reward for the players, et cetera, make the games better. Uh, and then we, you know, we obviously meet with CFP a couple of times a year as well. Um, I think at the end of the day, you know, our druthers would be, you've got the New Year's Six uh, that have done a great job with your semis and even your championships because they've played in every one of our cities. You know, obviously LA, they'll play, you know, not at the Rose Bowl this year, but they'll be in LA. So, um, you know, we'd love them to rotate the national championships through our six cities uh, because we've all hosted national championship games in the past. So, um, you know, let us do, you know, our quarterfinal game and then put on the national championship, you know, on a rotational basis. So we'd love to do that. We think it makes a lot of sense. Obviously, Atlanta's, you know, um, we've got the infrastructure, the best airport in the world where people can get here in an app on hourly flights from, you know, Chicago, Boston, New York, LA, um, Dallas, most of the major markets. Uh, we've got 13,000 hotel rooms downtown. So during that time, we're not a destination place to come to. So our hotels are very inexpensive. Um, we've got the best facility, I think, in the country. And, um, you know, I, I like to brag about my staff. I think they're the best in the business as well as our board and volunteers are the best in the business. So we'd love to, uh, 
we'd love to uh, talk and meet with you when you become commissioner of college football. <laughs> hey, man, I'm sold. I got an hour flight from Orlando. We're, let's, let's make that happen. As I get the Rose Bowl is, you know, it's majestic at sunset and all these different things, but got to have a place that's easy for people to get to. And, you know, let's be honest, we got SEC teams, ACC teams, Big Ten teams playing in these national championship games. All right. Like, let's let's make it happen in Atlanta. I'm just saying, I'm throwing it out there. Which, by the way, I, I, I do hope that, uh, uh, you know, Mr. Baker, I don't know him as, he's, as he comes in the NCAA. I hope he will take guidance and first off work with Tommy Tuberville and, and uh, Senator Tuberville and Senator Manchin. They're working on an NIL uh, answer and solution and guidelines. So work together and get that done. But secondly, I hope he comes in and puts a commissioner of college football, commissioner of college basketball, Commissioner of Women's Basketball, Commissioner of Baseball, and Commissioner of Olympic Sports in. And their board would be comprised of two student athletes, two coaches, two ADs, and two commissioners. And let them create the vision of college football from a scheduling, transfer portal, signing date, uh, um, you know, CFP playoffs. Let them deal with all those issues and create a vision for the sport. We're the second most favorite sport in this country behind the NFL and we're it's in terrible condition uh, to have what we're going through in December with signing day transfer portal coaches leaving uh, getting ready for bowl games it's it's a mess and you know even the opt-outs we need to deal with first round draft checks draft picks how are we gonna you know provide them some kind of insurance or cover? Work with the NFL. Where's the relationship with the NFL owners? You know, there's so many issues that we should be dealing with. And and unfortunately, we all talk about it, but we got to get something done. It sounds like you're very much on board with the idea I threw at you last year about the NIL incentives for playing in some of these bowl games. If you can increase those, that's that's the next step. Like, And I know that's a state-by-state state thing, and you're talking about, you know, getting Senator Tuberville on board with, with you know, with NIL and the legislation involved with it. But I, I think, man, that's, that's such an important thing moving forward in this day and age to be able to incentivize in that sort of way. If you can get companies on the back end who sponsor that way and sponsor through some sort of NIL cash pool with some of these non-playoff games as we try and maintain relevance – within this sport, I think that's something that would really go a long way. And it might not incentivize everyone, but I do think that that would have the best chance of making some of these games more relevant. But I, I, I agree and disagree. I agree that we need to find a way to help players that are first round picks who opt out and not play in bowl games. Really, those are the only ones that are opting out. So at the end of the day, that needs to be a bigger issue than just paying some NIL money of $50,000 when they're getting ready to sign, you know, a $20 million signing bonus. Um, so there needs to be coordination with the NFL, some loss of service if they get hurt, whatever it is to make them whole, number one. Number two, you know, the 99% that aren't going to get drafted and aren't going to play pro, you know, these collectives and these alumni uh, groups, those monies need to be there to help these kids get jobs or to your point, you know, offer a trust fund that if they get their degree, we're a collegiate experience. The reason they're there in college is to get a degree, not to play pro football, right? And there are some kids that are, 
are good enough to play pro football, God bless them. They're going to get paid, signing bonuses, blah, 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 and playing the NFL. But 99% of these kids are going to have to pick up a lunch pail when they get their degree. Let's get them their degree, then get them a job. And people don't talk about that, but that's the majority of the people. We keep pandering to the 1% when they're going to be fine. They're going to get their opportunity to play pro. They're going to get their signing bonus. That Whether they play four, five, 15 years, whatever, it's up to them. But the 99% of the kids who come to college for the opportunity to get a degree, let's get them a job because those are the people that are going to comprise of the majority of our society. And we're not doing anything with them. Perfectly fair point. And definitely a lot of sides to this. If you think this is just such an open and shut issue with the evolving nature of the sport, yeah, I, I would I, I would recommend that people consider kind of all the different things that, that are at play for sure. Uh, last one for you. Little Birdie told me that Ryan Day may or may not be trying to get you to open the roof on Saturday. Can you confirm or deny that the Ohio State coach is trying to pull some strings to be able to get some weather in his favor? Uh, yeah, I, I don't think that's going to be the case. Um, <laughs> we, uh, although I did have some fun with the Mercedes-Benz Stadium people. I, I had them going for about 10 minutes. I said, you know, this game's going to kick at 810, maybe 820 with a slide. Uh, we're probably three hours, 57 minutes, maybe a little bit longer. We're about midnight when we're ending. You know, we're going to open the roof and we're going to drop the big peach that that's the tradition in Atlanta right down on midfield through it. And so they start saying, well, so we'll have to open the roof at this time. And let's see, how are we going to get the peach down? I said, no, 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 I'm only kidding you guys. I said, I've been called P.T. Barnum and Bill Veck before with some of my ideas, but uh, we're not going to do that for this game. Wait, wait, Ken, is Chick-fil-A going to be, is Chick-fil-A going to be open past midnight? Have, have those talks happened going into a Sunday? Is that on no, the table? No, they won't be open on Sunday. You know, the, the interesting thing, though, what you bring up is, is interesting. They, the stadium has to turn the stadium for a one o'clock NFL game with Arizona and, and the Falcons, which has never been done before. So, you know, we get done at midnight. By the time they clean and everything, it's two o'clock or whatever. I mean, it's going to be a – they're going to earn their money this year uh, turning that thing for a one o'clock uh, NFL game. Gary, I'm going to be in the press box till 4 a.m., so good luck. <laughs> I might just yeah. sleep there. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. You just sleep there and watch the, the Falcon game. Exactly, exactly. I'll just hang out, spend a, spend a full so you're 24 coming hours. Up. You're coming up? Yeah, yeah I'll, be, I'll be there. hosting you. Yeah, Good. looking forward to it. I, I I love being able to to come to the Peach Bowl. It's something I look forward to each and every year. And know that this game hopefully is going to yield some better, uh, some, at least some more competitive second half than what we typically had in in the second half of these these semifinal games because they've been they've been a snoozer. But looking forward to Saturday. Looking looking forward to getting up there and and seeing the operation and everything. So yeah, really appreciate the well, time. Well, I'm gonna start calling you Commissioner. So from your lips to God's ears, Commissioner, we get a close game. I'm going to tell Josh Pate that you said that. He's not going to like that. But, yeah, I'm fully on board. <laughs> love it. Love it. Gary, really appreciate the time. We'll talk soon. All right, Connor. Happy New Year. Look forward to seeing you up here. What's my destiny, Mom? You're going to have to figure that out for yourself. Life is a box of chocolates, Forrest. You never know what you're going to get. All right, figure it out. Let's talk some holiday travel 2022 horror stories. 
Lord knows there were many of them. Oh my goodness. It feels like an all time bad week for holiday travel. I, I can't remember any instance like this in which we've heard so much about canceled flights. Certain Southwest airlines don't exactly mm-hmm. having the best, the best week, but if you had a flight that got from point A to point B in time, you're you're just blessed. That's the best Christmas wish you could have possibly been granted. That that is so rare. And I was in a situation. Um, you were did you drive to Ocala? Oh yeah. But I'll tell you why I texted you yesterday because I was like, I'm gonna get my day planned out because I moved my flight tomorrow up. I was like, you know what? If you guys delay me four hours, I'm still gonna have to get there because it was later in the day. Now it's at like 10 a.m. <laughs> oh, you're flying. So you're flying to Philadelphia tomorrow. To, yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. So about yeah, by the time people are listening, yeah, that's uh. It, it's a bad week to be at an airport. Just a yeah. bad, bad week, man. Like we're so we had originally the plan was all right, we're gonna fly in from Orlando into Indianapolis, uh, not this most recent Saturday, but Saturday the 17th. And so we did that. But of course, when we get to the airport, they have because it's MCO, we get to the airport an hour and a half ahead of time. But because it's MCO, security line, 45 minutes to an hour, they're estimating the wait is going to be just, just to, to get through, all right? Just, just 27 crying kids holding Mickey Mouse. Oh, my God. All of them. All of them. This is a full eight days before Christmas, mind you, okay? This is usually not that busy just yet. So we're like, we're, we might miss our flight if we do this. Like <laughs> Doors close in an hour for our flight if we don't do something. So we're like, let's do clear. Sign up for a free trial of clear quit it like two days later no big deal um and we're able to kind of get through a little bit quicker we get to our gate about 12 to 13 minutes before doors are supposed to close i think it is like 10 minutes go up to the counter tell them hey um have you you guys started boarding yet nope cool nothing no notification about a delay or anything like that frontier doesn't accept yeah we flew frontier they had a lot of flights available Mm -hmm. frontier doesn't allow us to sign in with the mobile app because they don't accept apostrophes I am not kidding you. We could put no, a man on the moon. Like, believable thing I've ever been told. Yeah. There's a lot of people who don't believe in apostrophes. I'm like what? What? Why? Just what? It's like why the, the imaginary mean? friends thing. I am. We are real. The apostrophe people. We have rights. Do you know the amount of times that I've had to tell somebody like while looking up my name on a list somewhere? Oh, there's probably you probably skipped the apostrophe or there's probably O space G A R A or something like that. The worst. Hate it. Can't say it. Love my last name. Love my ancestors. But yeah, you get what I'm saying. So we get to the gate, whatever. And like, oh yeah, no, haven't boarded yet. Okay. It's 3.30. We're sitting there. We're like, all right, but I'm not going to board. Okay. All right, cool. Probably a full half hour after, which we were supposed to be boarding. They finally announced, oh yeah, we're working on something, blah, 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 whatever. Like an hour and 20 minutes, our flight ends up being delayed without any sort of notification or sign that that the flight was going to be delayed. So, of course, we had rushed and we had a very stressful time being able to get there. All right. Not the biggest deal in the world. We get end up getting to Naples like an hour and a half after we're expected to. Whatever. That's fine. The storm. We were supposed to drive from Indianapolis to Chicago on Friday morning. I talked about it on the last pod. We ended up moving that ahead a full 24 hours. We're like, we don't want to be dealing with that stuff. We're also driving with my brother and his wife. So we had some moving pieces there. Thankfully, we were able to make it up there. Snow only hit us for the final half hour of the drive. Not a big deal. Travel was totally fine. Very fortunate that we got from point A to point B. Yesterday morning, Will. Monday morning. Nothing like waking up and realizing that your tire is at 4 PSI. That is very flat. 
very flat. Yeah, I didn't even know they could read four psi. I thought that was just called flat. <laughs> right, it was basically just flat. I don't even know how it read, but whatever. Another case, whatever the case may be. Spent a half hour trying to get air in the tire. You know, figuring out. All right, are we going to be able to make it from Indianapolis or from Chicago to Indianapolis? It's um, my mother in law's car, so we're like, oh, hopefully we don't have to. You know, try to find a Firestone the day after Christmas when what's a national holiday, the twenty sixth, and have to get a new tire or something like that. It's also freaking freezing outside. But we end up getting from point A to point B without anything more than like a 35 minute wait during you know, in traffic on I-65. No big deal. But when it really gets interesting, of course, is when you get to the airport. We get to the airport. Flight is you know supposed to be on time or whatever. Board a half hour later than we're supposed to. Finally get on the plane. It's about 15 minutes after we were supposed to leave. We're thinking, all right, we'll leave like a half hour after what we were originally scheduled to. That's fine. We'll still make it home at a reasonable hour. Hopefully get home by like 11 o'clock. We sit on that plane for an hour and 20 minutes, I believe, without moving. But they give very limited communication the entire time of what's going wrong. They had to de-ice the plane. The problem with de-icing the plane is, is that they're not allowed to run the air conditioning because of the chemicals that can like seep into it. So they turn off the air conditioning in a full plane for an hour. And everybody's dressed up in winter coats. And you've already heard me rant about the people who crank up the heat to 80 degrees during the winter when it's like, hey, I'm sitting here wearing a winter coat. I was ready for this. I didn't show up in shorts and a tank top. You don't need to turn it to 80 degrees. What are you doing? And they can't do anything about it. The problem was they turned this AC off well before they started de-icing the plane. They give us no communication whatsoever. We end up, by the time we took off, it was probably about an hour and 50 minutes after what we were supposed to leave at. Long story short, we end up finally being able to get to Orlando. We get home at about like one in the morning going into Monday or going into Tuesday rather. Not the biggest deal in the world. When we got to the airport and saw the amount of people that were sitting there who had been at the Orlando airport for days, and there is no worse place on earth than the Orlando airport. I don't care if you tell me the Atlanta airport is worse. I will not have any of that. I've been to the Atlanta airport a ton. And if you don't think the Orlando airport is bad, you just have been the most lucky person on the face of the earth because it is truly hell on earth. And I felt so bad for those people. I had a little moment where I had like a, threw a temper tantrum, like a four-year-old on the plane. I'm just like, I just want to go. I just want to go. And on top of that, I broke just my sunglasses of nine years. Oh my God. I got it. Let's go. I broke my Ray-Bans during the entire travel process. A pair of sunglasses I've had for nine years. And I'm, I'm throwing this tantrum. Lauren like buys me a new pair of Ray-Bans and stuff. And it's like, oh. all right, are you, are you okay? Here's the Snickers. <laughs> like, that's essentially what it was. So my travel wasn't that bad. All things considered, could have been way worse. And I feel so bad for anybody that dealt with situations that were beyond their control and they just got screwed. So I'm grateful. Very grateful. <laughs> feel blessed. That's no, that's so funny. And like, me and Brittany just had a conversation where she's like, I don't know what to do with your stress because I'm not, you know, me, I'm never stressed. And so, like, I was like, I don't know. <laughs> like, but like, yeah, point being, like, I just, I, I'm, I'm with you. That's like scary. And I'm, I'm kind of dreading my flight tomorrow for that reason. But hey, you just got to build it in. And like, 
I, I hate to be this guy, but it's like, I well, knock on super wood, man. That's just kind of why I just like started flying Delta like all the time. Cause I was like, you know what, man, I had a bad experience. Uh, I got stuck on a tarmac after we shot something with Marler in Miami and we got home in f- at 4 a.m. back to Atlanta. And I think I had like work the next day or something. Like it was like a situation where I was like, love that. What? No, I was flying to Arizona to go see the Fiesta Bowl. That's what it was. And I had a flight at 10 a.m. and I got in at 4 a.m. and I was just like, guess i'll die yep. um and so yeah no it's it's all yep that's my holiday yep there, there's my my bad story it's like but i've had bad stuff happen on delta obviously but it's like it, it's just weird because you it's when you realize that these places are a business and they're kind of a ponzi scheme and they mm-hmm. oversell these flights and they do stuff that's like sketchy and it that never catches them until the holidays because that's when everything gets overloaded and they actually have to honor the crap they sell to people but you, know, you get it Depends time of year, needless to say. Yep. A lot of a lot of people have some very important travel plans. And yeah, I would I would not want to be an airline employee. No way. Like no I would want zero part of that at all. Mm-hmm. Um so let's let's go to the Saturday Down South Podcast Facebook group, a place where we just open the forum, just just vent about your holiday mishaps that you have had with this very atypical storm and all of the fun that that has produced with traveling from point A to point B. Matthew Sadro says, left for vacation on Christmas morning with Southwest. Oh boy, you know where this is going. And only had a three hour delay getting to my destination. Didn't realize how lucky I was until I saw the news last night about them canceling over two thirds of their flights. I think it was like 70%. Yeah. Like 70% mm-hmm. of the flights that they canceled. It's crazy. Now the rest of my vacation will be spent in a minor panic about whether my flight Saturday will be getting me home. I'll be leaving from Phoenix too, which Southwest announced they wouldn't be servicing until Saturday at the earliest. I'm not yet mentally prepared to drive 17 hours back home if needed. There's nothing you could do to mentally prepare for that. I'm telling you right now, like, there's just nothing that puts such a damper on the rest of the trip. And I felt so bad because like the entire time I was with, you know, in, in Indianapolis I'm, and Lauren had to like, tell me, stop stressing about getting to Chicago. Okay. And you need to enjoy your time here. And mm-hmm. there are going to be things that happen that are outside of our control, but that sucks when you know, at the start of a vacation mm-hmm. that your plans to return are going to be uh, in flux at best 17 hours is that's that's not like a oh i I, you need to have some serious doubt that you're going to be able to get back in any prompt matter if you're driving 17 hours you just split you split that up over two days i would think you would have to you wouldn't drive 17 hours in one day would you couldn't drive that straight no no no. i mean even bathroom break i mean it just depends on how you count it like if it's like a 14 hour drive you build in three hours but for me i'll be like they would like see some sites or something 17 is like almost impossible to me because that's like a level where it's like that ends up being more or less because like but yeah point being like that's bad man oh uh, yeah it's one of those and like southwest is like usually a pretty good airline too so i'm not i'm not even trying to do the whole like oh book, book better airlines that's that's rough and i don't know i mean it's weird to see a company do like a like the yips like do like a collapse like a football team in a bowl game but that's what we're seeing right now it's wild it sucks because like again it's around the holidays it's not just that it's people are traveling and said people are seeing loved ones that you know yep. hate to be weirdo but like you might never see your loved one. you just never know when you're going to see your loved ones again i'll put it like that so that sucks dude and i mean if they you know if they can't get a change or if they can't do whatever i mean that's it, it, the thing that's crazy about that situation too is that like mentally, you know me, I'm like I can finesse my way onto a plane. Everybody's thought that 
at this everybody. point. Everybody. Everybody's been finessing their way into planes for three or four days. And where they could have put the people with the gift of the gab that, uh, that could get on the planes, they have four planes full of those people and there are no more. <laughs> yeah, man. It's 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 not a time for sweet talking either. Like there's, It can only get you so far. Good luck yep. with that. Oh, brutal. Hopefully you're able to make it back in, uh, in, in somewhat prompt fashion, Matthew. That's a bummer. Drew Page. Travel horror story was moving down here to Georgia, which he just did. Uh, the mm-hmm. night before my, uh, the night before we left, my wife tested positive for COVID. She still drove our RV six hours here. I got pink eye and an ingrown nail dug out. That sounds disgusting on every level. Mm-hmm. Uh, our water line froze, so we didn't have water, and then our tanks froze up until the other day. Frozen tanks. Mm-mm. Nope, not fun. Water an essential thing that I admittedly take for granted. I take for granted the fact that I can just go fill up my water cup. I could just go bathe. I can go wash my hands, not having it. I saw my mother-in-law never is on edge. She was on edge after those two days without water. Like, <laughs> and I, I don't blame her. I would be so much worse. I, I would just be sitting there doing the Joe Pesci thing, just muttering gibberish at myself being so angry at the circumstances and Lauren would be telling me like, Hey, there's like, we need to figure out like what to do about it. Like, just, I just want to be mad. Just let me be mad. Right now. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, Drew's a, Drew's a saint, man. Like we had, I told you we had like uh, another weird situation with Peyton where he was like originally going to go. And then like, he basically got kiboshed at the last second where he couldn't go. And so we, we hit up Drew and we're like, Hey dude, we know you're moving in. You want to come to the SC championship game with us? And like, dude, they were like freaking running it on fumes, all that stuff going on. I was like, you need to like quarantine from Tristan and like take two COVID tests, do all this stuff. And I had just had COVID. So I wasn't really worried, but I was like, Hey, like, and I was like, Hey, they, they were going to Stone Mountain and then they were like doing something else and then coming to the game and they were getting into Stone Mountain like two and kickoff was like 3.30. I was like, oh, there's no shot. And I remember just like looking over like as like the teams are warming up and Drew was like, hey man. And I was like, how did you get here? Yeah, so, I'm like, amazed when people do that. Yeah, he's <laughs> like- rat other hats. Yeah, they're they're troopers, man. Like that's the thing. Like they are a hardy group of people. <laughs> so if something's happened to them, they've done, they've, they've done their homework. This is a great time to be one of those people that like, you're like, oh yeah, I can sleep on an airport floor. No big deal. <laughs> Not me. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I could sleep three hours on a plane. I'm so jealous. I could sleep three hours in a car, maybe, kind of off and on, but three hours on a plane? No way. Absolutely not. Way too Dude, I had like a beautiful, safe upbringing. Like I love my mom. I didn't grow up in fear of anything. I don't know why I can't sleep unless it's like in like unless like I can't sleep in cars. I can't sleep on planes. I can't sleep on floors unless you put me in a bed and like tell me like put on my little podcast and like let me go to sleep. If people are like, oh, we'll wake up early. We'll just take a nap. I'm like, cool. So you're napping. I'm not. That's awesome. <laughs> I'm just sleep deprived. I need more caffeine. All right, cool. We, right. Yeah, I, I'm going to suffer for, for a full day. We'll need a full bedtime story to be able to sleep. Yep. Glass of warm milk. You know, got to put on the NPR politics podcast. You lift to it. I sleep to it. Look, <laughs> we haven't bought that on in a while. Yep. Uh, let's go to this one from Willie Gray. Willie Gray says, my wife and I took a trip to Florida and had to rent a car. Uh, they were about halfway there. Two by four came off a truck in front of us, ended up slingshotting under our front tire, which was a front wheel drive car and propelled the two by four up through the back of the fender uh, up through the, the container that held the window washing fluid, and then through the front windshield. This sounds really bad. Thank God it didn't hit my wife, uh, and they were right at a rest area, um, got able to pull over, called the rental place, all to find out. 
that they didn't take out the $2 insurance. Worst trip ever and expensive too. <laughs> like Michael, when he lakes the car, the machine, yeah. it knows. You got the rental insurance, right? <laughs> we dude, I had something real. I don't even know what I told you about. This is just my life, I guess. I had something similar that happened to me when I was going to Thanksgiving. So I'll be quickly paint the seed for you. So We've been joking about the trucks with the hips, like the dualies, because they took a lot of our, like, like they took like a lot of the parking spaces at LSU. We parked there and I was like, sweet. So everybody brought their trucks with the hips. Now we can't park. And so point being, I was driving to uh, to Purcell Farms and I was like driving. I was still, like, I said, let me paint the seat for you. I'm talking to Chris Brady about like the Eagles or, or like Jimbo Fisher or something. And he's like screaming and he's like, just because that's how he talks. And he was just like, yeah, I'm like one thing I don't understand. Da, da, da. And I'm like, oh my God, stop, shut up, shut up, shut up. There was a, there was a, a horse trailer in front of me that the truck in front of it, the back tire, blew out and it started spinning a horse trailer oh, a truck gosh. that was not a dually that's what i was bringing that up i was like i'm never gonna make fun of those trucks with the hips again if that truck had more tires i would have been fine but this truck blew out the whole horse trailer starts doing this death roll and i'm like oh my god and like brady is just still yelling and i'm like dude shut up shut up shut up and i had to like fade back into the traffic and like throw my hazards like everybody and drivers are so stupid bro like they're so unaware like it's like bro do you guys not see sudden death approaching yeah. slow down below 90 please let's all do this together so we all survive it's the worst is like when you're like the nearest person to like an accident you're just like oh this is about to get so bad yeah I, oh i hate those situations and especially when it's a situation when it's something like that that's outside your control and there's it's it's a car ahead of you and it's their issue right. and then all of a sudden it impacts you there's only so much you can do to be able to control that that is terrifying to experience that hopefully you're doing well yes thank god that it did not hit your wife that would have been a brutal brutal way to, to, to travel my gosh hopefully everybody traveled that uh, or hopefully everybody who is, had some sort of southwest flight is going to have just two two or three years of nothing but good travel experiences that's all i hope for i just want everybody to, to kind of get right with going through all that because it just sounds like it absolutely sucks all right well let's end with some lad of the week i got one Do for it. you raylan clifton okay raylan is a diehard tennessee fan little boy Video of him, if you didn't see this, on Christmas, he opens up a present. It's a frame picture of a friend of the program, Jalen Hyatt. <laughs> and this little boy, he's overcome with emotion. It's I never was moved to tears as like a 10-year-old or anything like that. When I used to watch Michael Jordan celebrating an NBA championship and he's crying, I'm like, why is he crying? Isn't this happy? I didn't really <laughs> understand that. So yeah. I don't understand the concept of being moved to tears until like high school maybe. I don't know. Maybe definitely it was like a puberty thing, like a, a post-puberty thing for me. But um, anyways, he's moved to tears and then uh, the video gets around. There was somebody, I can't remember, there was somebody at a news station that shared the video uh, to Hyatt and so the make sure that Jalen Hyatt saw this and then Hyatt calls him up calls up the little boy FaceTimes him and he's just freaking out and it's just so cool to see I love that stuff I'll always go for that or like kids getting the bowl game tickets on Christmas or something I watch all those videos those are also good just good wholesome content on the internet I try and avoid social media during Christmas and, you know, I, I try and just stay off apps and stuff. But I, when I'm like going to sleep or something, I'm always looking at at least like three or four videos of those. I'm like, Oh, that feels good. That's nice. That's what Christmas is all about. hundred percent, man. Yeah. It's been, it's been a wild week for lads, big lads week. Everyone is, you know, we had national signing day. We could, we could talk about Alabama. We could talk about Oregon. We could do all that. Yeah, you know, they're like you said, I, I love it when athletes give back. I love the NFL guys and some of the guys that have gone pro. Uh, Zion was giving out, you know, giving out gift cards and like going shopping with people at, at, with like a local women's shelter. That was really cool. But for my lot of the week, um, 
it's the end of the year, man. I want to give it to the listeners, man. I think that you oh. guys have like really stuck with us. I think that each of you are the lads and ladies of of the week. And I know, uh, you know, I I've, I'm often get a little bit, you know, choked up or whatever about this stuff. But, you know, you look at our numbers, man. And, you know, we've had the best two years of our podcast. And I haven't looked at the most recent ones for all of 2022. But, you know, last time I talked to you about, it, we were up 120% over the last year. And it was, you know, when I saw the numbers, we had seven and a half million total listens and three million were in the last year so which means that we are you know on pace to you know most people have listened to us this year more than any other years combined so it's super cool man and to be in a situation where i was a dude who was behind cameras who was running audio equipment who was editing who never thought i would be in this situation i appreciate you guys rocking with us i appreciate you guys giving us a chance after we changed you know the format and everything um i know i got a weird voice and a weird laugh uh but hopefully you know it's i can see it finally in the numbers that i'm just like oh my gosh you know it's so cool and to have people random people hit me up and tag me on twitter when my team loses like i love that it's the, I'm best. Gonna be honest. It's the <laughs> best like when you're wrong and you're just like i at least you're thinking of me like it was weird as dumb as that sounds it's like i've always wanted for my voice to matter in some way and it's super duper cool and you know thank you to you connor and the chance that you've given me and i i'm just I'm just fired up about life, man, as I, as I look back at, you know, our year and the stuff that we've done and, you know, the fact that, you know, I finally had a good year as far as I was able to go to some LSU games for the first time in two years. I was able to see my friends. I was able to see Drew. I was able to do all that. But, you know, first and foremost, all of that, you know, was brought together by this stuff. So seriously, guys, thank you guys for taking a chance on us and specifically me and dealing with me for a couple of months while I figured this stuff out. Not that I have it figured out now. You know, Connor definitely keeps me grounded, but I just feel like, you know, looking back at the year, man, it's it's you guys that keep us going, keep us motivated and we have rough days when we throw this podcast on and it's a hectic time of the year it's just like you know i just i i empathize with that fan who's just like i gotta throw in my little podcast to go to sleep i've had a rough day at you know my my family's house or whatever i just want to listen to some to some football stuff so we try to give that to you guys man and i appreciate you rocking with us well said appreciate you appreciate everybody that is that has been able to 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 come along for this ride and we're, we're still going to keep rocking that's what that's what we do and this is the last podcast of 2022. Gosh, yeah, man. what a crazy thought, man. Crazy thought. We'll talk in 2023, I guess. That seems so distant when we first started this way back in the day. Like, oh, yeah, mm-hmm. we'll be doing this in 2023. We'll continue to grow and we'll continue to do it. Um, but, yeah, that's where we're at. And because of the effort of, of people like Will and, and Dan Matthews, our producer, to, to mm-hmm. help make this happen. And we enjoy doing this. We love doing this. And we got plans for bigger and better things in 2023. And that's... That's just how we're going to keep continuing to roll. That's how we're going to do this thing, man. So, man, you got me in my feels. I'm emotional. It's tough. That's tough to do. It's an emotional time of year, but still, I appreciate it. about, man. You know, it's about Thanksgiving. It's about being thankful, but really, bro, like, I love the year in review stuff because I – you know, we live really dope lives and it's cool that you get to cover football, you know, coming from, you know, where you came from, being in the South, being accepted the way that you have. And for me, like I said, being a behind the camera guy, it's it's a little bit of an underdog story, bro, because nobody ever told either of us we'd be doing SEC football on air. Exactly. And so it's cool. It's a blessing, bro. Exactly. Yes. Uh, if you are going to be at the, if you're going to be at the Peach Bowl, come find me, uh, Home Depot lot on Saturday. Should be there probably all afternoon. Looking forward to it. Going to be a great time. Bowl games, bowl games, bowl games. Cannot wait for this week. We finally feel like we're in the thick of it. It's a great, beautiful time of year. Hope everybody is able to enjoy it and not dealing with any more travel issues or anything like that. If you haven't, leave us a five-star review. Subscribe to this podcast. Join the Facebook group. Hear your name read on air with figuring out or bold and brash. Thanks, guys. Talk to you in 2023.